And good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be around this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight. Well, we've got one heck of a show, since this is a family show, you'll notice I've self-edited there. There's all kinds of heck breaking loose inside NASA over perseverance. And we're going to go through some of that this morning. We're going to give you new data, new analyses, some stunning, and I use that term very advisedly, stunning new images. I mean, this is, this is one for the history books. This is, this is really something else. Anyway, some of our guests are not quite lined up yet, and there's images being loaded into radio with pictures, and there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. So in the meantime, let me kind of catch you up on the news. Obviously, we're still you know, in the midst of this extraordinary, awful pandemic, over half a million people have died from this thing in the United States alone. And I know when I make that statement that there are people out there yelling at their radios or smartphones, oh, my, come on, it's a hoax, it's not real. We're working on getting together the right vaccine shows so that we can address this from a scientific and not political standpoint. And the reason I have item number one up there is because everything about this virus, if you haven't noticed yet, but it's different than any other virus we've ever dealt with in terms of symptomology, in terms of asymmetric, asymmetric, asymptomatic people, well, they may also be asymmetric, asymptomatic people who carry the virus and spread it, but don't even know they have it unless they have a test, which, of course, have been in very short order. Anyway, the reason that that is up there tonight is because there now appears to be um, evidence that uh, even if you have the uh, vaccine, um, you may not be uh, protected from giving uh, the virus to someone else. And you'll see that in their answer to question number one. Does the vaccination completely prevent infection. And it says you can still get infected, but of course your chances of getting very seriously ill are very, very small. The The big question is, um, do you transmit, even if you're asymptomatic, to other people? And we don't know. I mean, really, there's very weird and conflicting data. And then there's the whole thing about the variants, which are, of course, mutations. And the virus itself genetically, um, for the research that I've looked into, is not natural. It was created by somebody, and you know my preferred model that came from upstairs, that someone has done this to us. And the events we see going on around the world is because, you know, behind the scenes secretly in those top security meetings, there is a consensus. That's why the world is kind of unified around this thing, even though the – fake news and the lies and misinformation and the disinformation is flying thick and fast. Anyway, uh, take a look at that um, article. And the reason it's relevant to what we're going to talk about this morning is because um, of item number two. Now, for those of you who are new to the other side of midnight, you're obviously logged onto our homepage. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to hear us. If you're logged on to a phone somewhere to one of the call in lines, like in blog talk, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's banner, which says rather dramatically, Percy landed amid game-changing ancient Martian ruins. 
and NASA is visibly freaking out. And we will describe in exquisite detail the visibly part of that. Because unless you follow NASA, you might not have followed the bouncing ball on this, and it's very important that you do. So if you click on that banner, that will take you to tonight's guest page. And right under it, you'll see a whole bunch of you know, fast links to various items and then fast links to various bios of our participants tonight. Uh, click on my items. Click on Richard there. That takes you down to uh, my radio with pictures items. Item number two, I made this up back in November after many months of looking at this and looking and wondering if I was really seeing what I was seeing because I noticed and I was really resistant to thinking it was true that the deaths, I mean, there's all kinds of statistics on the web now, tests, number of people with the virus, number of hospitalizations, and unfortunately, the rising count of people dying of COVID-19. And again, there's always controversy around all this. So hang with me for a second. This graph I snapped and, and prepared in November, I tried to go into the same website, which is item number three, the um, uh, European equivalent of the CDC, which had this exquisite interactive graphic where you could put your cursor on any day of the year, going back to when all this started, which was you know over a year ago, and you could literally call up the stats for that particular day. Now, if you click on that link, number three, which is the source data for that graph in number two, you can't do that anymore. They only have posted the average curves, the seven-day average curves. Why seven? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Because if you look at number two, that graph, the deaths all over the world, this is a world total of every country reporting to their various medical authorities and then ultimately to the World Health Organization and to the European CDC and to the American CDC and a lot of other health institutions. It is blatantly obvious from this graph that every seven days, there is an abrupt change in the number of people and down, up and down in a precisely resonant rhythmic period of seven days. And before some of you shout at your uh, you know, smartphones, oh, that's just because you know, it's tabulated in a week. No, that's easily eliminated because not every country, not every reporting station reports in the same time frame. And so it's, it's randomized reporting, but it comes out when you put a world together, which has never happened in the history of humankind, modern history. This has never happened to where we've been comparing data on a simultaneous medical emergency all over the world and all the data is feeding into central sources which, where it can be displayed. And you find this incredible rhythmic seven-day periodicity which I like to think I was first or one of the first to notice. I talked about it first. I published first. Then I found there were some researchers, uh, virologists with the University of Illinois and one from Israel who have looked at the same phenomenon and came to the same conclusion, although because they're academics, they couched it in very, very conservative terms. 
But the bottom line is, and I'm still working to get one of them on the on the air to talk to you about all this. This is real. This is a real phenomenon. So I stopped looking at that graph because it's very, very depressing. Uh, back about November. It's now February. When I went to the same European CDC site, remember, item number three, it turns out they have totally discontinued the daily reporting. And the interactive graph only clicks on the average, a seven-day average, which, of course, is useless. You're basically throwing away crucial, essential, vital, perhaps paradigm-changing information. Now, why did they change this? Why did they decide to do this? I think because they suddenly tumbled to what this graph was displaying, which is something absolutely unparalleled in medical history, unparalleled in medical science, unparalleled in any science. The idea that people on opposite sides of the planet are dying simultaneously at the same time and if we had a, a finer cut, if we had hour by hour by hour statistics for each day, <clears throat> would we find they're dying to the same hour and to the same minute? I mean, this is not trivial. This, this is world-class earth-shaking, and somebody decided to take it down. So you can't find these stats anymore unless you jump through a huge number of hoops so only those obsessive compulsives among us raise your hand see i'm raising my right hand here uh are able to find the data and given that i was doing this before the show this evening a few hours ago i did not have time missed all the other prep that we do for these shows to go and find where they buried this daily death reporting data it's out there somewhere but I did do a cursory search, and I did find that my old network – remember, I used to work for all four, ABC, CBS, NBC, and CNN at one time in my career. NBC still carries the original daily death reports, except it's not a graph. It's – what do they call those things? Uh, I, I guess it would be called a bar graph. <clears throat> and so the spikes are the deaths going up, and the – Black interleaving portions are where the deaths really, really, really go down. Look at that that peak on the right. The difference between the bottom and the top, the peak number of people dying on that day, and then the peak number of people dying just one day before is a factor of six to one. There is no amount of error, human frailty, Deliberate hoaxing, a con job, a pandemic, whatever you want to call it, there's no way that hoaxers are going to do that because it calls attention to the anomalies. When you're trying to get away with a con, and you can think of the pandemic model as the biggest con in history, you do not want to do something that calls attention to the details because, <clears throat> being very cliched, the devil is in the details. So the fact that there are reporting sources still looking at these daily death counts, and we're seeing this stunning change, literally one 24-hour period to the next, tells me something external to
to individuals in hospitals dying on ventilators is modulating globally on a planetary scale the rise and fall of daily COVID deaths. Now, the huge question that we do not have the resources to answer tonight, but hopefully someone somewhere will, unless the fix is in and nobody really wants to have the answer to this question is, is this extraordinary seven-day incredibly metronomic rhythmic pattern only limited to people who are dying of COVID? Or does it apply to deaths from any cause, not accidents, obviously, car crashes and plane crashes and, you know, people falling out of windows and stuff like that, but to, quote, natural deaths or death from disease, is this modulation present in the world population of 7 billion people all the time? And if it is, how do people know when to die and when not to die? I mean, I've told you my personal story that Robin uh, left us, left this dimension, precisely at 6.30 a.m. on March 3rd, two years ago. We're coming up on, I can't believe it's two years. And she did it on the third day of March, which is, of course, the third month. So her dying had encapsulated within it a number of these hyperdimensional codes that we measured together in Mexico at Teotihuacan because with the Accutron at dawn, and I, I looked back and it was literally at dawn here on the 3rd of March when she died. Um, at dawn, I got extraordinary data on the Accutron, radical changes of frequency spikes and then it went back to background so at dawn something hyperdimensionally in the torsion field happens between the sun and earth if we had hourly data on these worldwide covid deaths would we see a preponderance of people on a given day all over the planet dying at sunrise at dawn And does this kind of leak into cultural mythos like, you know, prisoners hung or shot at dawn, um, battle groups, you know, charging the enemy at dawn, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, this is non-trivial. And the fact now that these official government agencies and even the so-called COVID tracking project, which was set up by Atlantic Magazine, who are intending to stop their tracking uh, on March 7th, exactly one year after they began, which I find crazy. I mean, we're, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, guys. Why are you stopping a critical information source to the general public? That makes no sense at all. They literally say, well, we've been at this a year. It's time to do something else. What? So a lot of people who are in, 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 involved deeply with this data are suddenly making the daily death count which is the ultimate reason we're interested in any of this at all. We want to keep people alive, keep them here if we can. They're literally making it difficult, if not impossible, to get this data. And the curious thing is, this behavior has been reflected in the last week in our friendly local neighborhood space agency 
NASA. They're doing exactly the same thing with the Perseverance data and the briefings and the updates and all that to the media, to the American people, to the world, that the COVID folks are doing with the daily death graphs. They're making it very difficult. And through this method of titration, which is a chemistry term, they are reducing the number of people who are able to see the perseverance data to a relative handful on a planet of billions of people, certainly with millions who are interested and are following the mission and have tuned in and have been very, very disappointed. Okay, moving on. Item number five is a, um, a story from the uh, – uh, let me see who actually published this. It's from the uh, Business Insider. It's kind of an appropriate summation with some really good imagery collected over the last week. It's kind of like a summation of where, where we are tonight in terms of perseverance. Um, but something very, very weird happened between – the Saturday night show we did just a week ago on Perseverance and tonight's show. Remember how I was really excited about the Monday morning press conference that NASA had advertised where they were going to dump all kinds of new data, new images. They had the EDL videos for the first time. We would actually see video of the landing, the parachutes popping, the heat shield falling away, the landing site coming up. And finally, the dust. we got all that, but we got it in a weird way because they canceled in the NASA schedule that press conference. And I looked and looked and I couldn't find it. Uh, one of our um, uh, esteemed members of the, of the crew, uh, a guy named Chris Rogers, you know who he is. He's doing our editing for the blog talk um, posting and the, the, the um, uh, land stations that carry the show. He's also a very accomplished musician, you know, with several albums to his credit. Anyway, he sent me an email, and just by chance, he was able to capture and and listen to the briefing that had been on the schedule for Monday, and which NASA had officially canceled, but they moved it like an hour so no one would find it, and they held it anyway. You know, it's like you know, which one of those three cups on the street, three card Monty. And you move the cups around and wonder which one is the you know, the peanut or whatever, and you get a 20 bucks, and you never win because the game is rigged. Well, NASA's rigging the game when it comes to perseverance. And that doesn't stop there. It turns out that they've done a whole bunch of things so that only the ultimate enthusiast who knows to go to the absolutely arcane website of raw images and wade through thousands that have been dumped over the last several days and picks out those they want to look at and has the wherewithal, the expertise to process them. Because these are raw images, right? The public and the media are used to finished product coming from NASA, updating on missions, new mosaics, new close-ups, new details, new science, new everything, and that information flow, except to the dedicated few obsessive compulses, raise your hand, please, uh, who are really determined not to be stymied in following this mission. They're making it as difficult as possible to follow perseverance on Mars. And it's only been there a week. 
Now, this runs counter to everything I know from A, being a NASA consultant, B, being a, a consultant to all those TV networks that I talked about a few moments ago, being familiar with the politics of Washington, because remember, NASA serves at the pleasure of the Congress. Without Congress, there is no money. You know that old cliche, no bucks, no buck rogers? Well, every time there is a new mission and NASA has the attention of the American people for a few fleeting nanoseconds anymore, competing with all kinds of other news, you know, Trump, you know, impeachments, COVID, um, you know, legislation, all the, you know, Texas, look at what happened in Texas. You have to fight for every moment of airtime. And the idea that NASA would willingly just give this up, just forego any current excitement from the American people who, through their Congress representatives, will result ultimately in better budgets, you know, better missions, better everything. The fact that they would willingly give this up and frankly do something disastrous to their public image for those who are paying attention to the details makes absolutely no sense. Oh, it gets worse. It turns out, if those of you who have <clears throat> cable channels or satellite channels, that NASA provides freely to every satellite and cable system in the country a channel called NASA TV. It used to be called NASA Select, which has an arcane reason going back to you know, the media days in the 60s and, and 50s when this started. Um, and they're the only government agency in the United States which has its own television network. And because of that, a lot of folks in Congress, under the rubric of, you know, wade, uh, waste, <clears throat> excuse me, waste, fraud, and abuse, would like to get rid of the NASA TV channel. They kind of look at it as, you know, um, you know, RT, except an Americanized version, even though there are no politics in the NASA TV channel. It's basically as one of the programs says, all things NASA. And you see launches and landings, and you see engineering backstories. You see them building Artemis. You see the construction of the rovers. There was a wonderful tutorial a couple, three days ago on the mass cam Z cameras. So they provide all kinds of information 24-7. They rerun it so you can you know, catch it at a convenient time. Or you go to your cable or satellite system. You look at their electronic version of the old TV guide and you simply bookmark programs you want to record so you can look at them um, a, a, a synchronously uh, on your schedule as opposed to the tyranny of live television. That is up until Sunday night when the planned 2 p.m. Eastern Monday afternoon press conference on everything Perseverance had downlinked over the weekend was suddenly unceremoniously canceled. So it was suddenly withdrawn from this TV guide spreadsheet of future programs. And when you would try to record a given program on a given subject, because I've been recording everything now 24 seven on NASA to see what they're going to do. Everything is 
what was it that Vice President Biden said in Obama's ear? It's, it's, it's a major foobar. Let's call it that. It's a foobar of megalithic proportions. And for those of you who don't know what foobar means, Google is your friend. Okay, so they are destroying their public image because now nobody can follow any programs on NASA TV. Everything is cattywampus, as my grandmother would have said. And by recording everything, you see how bad it is. And you, it's hard to retrieve because all the titles look the same in the little icons. You know, they're doing that deliberately. So nothing can be differentiated by, you know, the background graphics or whatever. In other words, they're really screwing up NASA television, which is their flagship. It's their bureaucratic face to the world. But more important, it's their public image to, again, the Congress of the United States, from which all NASA money ultimately derives. So why are they doing all this insane stuff, cutting off the information flow, stiff-arming people who are really following this brand-new amazing mission, totally lousing up NASA television so there are no briefings and you can't find anything, not even the reruns of the old briefings? Because my analysis says, having been a NASA consultant, having been around Washington for longer than I care to remember, this is marking time. Behind the scenes, they are literally running around, some of them, like chickens without heads. The sky is falling. The sky is falling because perseverance landed in an ancient 30-mile-wide lake bed, and it's filled with artificial structures and ruins and foundations and buildings and massive structures and even evidence of greenish tints to the landscape that no amount of processing can get rid of because maybe the green stuff is chlorophyll and maybe under the lake where there's still water, there is some kind of current extant chlorophyll using biology. Is there a crater? And the NASA folks have no idea how to handle what they have landed in the middle of. And the public evidence of this, kind of like two kids wrestling on a bed under the sheets, you don't see what they're doing, but you see an elbow here bumping up and a leg there and a foot and all that, and you're trying to recreate what they're doing before you tell them, stop it. NASA is freaking out, and we're seeing these tantalizing hints of incredible dissension in the ranks behind the scenes. It's like no one warned them, the honest side of NASA, that this was going to happen. They didn't get the memo. And they're dissolving in our in our public view as a result. Now, how long can this go on? I don't know. That's why I'm taping NASA 24-7, day and night, and reviewing at 300 times, you know, frame speed, every single program to see when they straighten up the ship, when they fly right. Now, you would imagine that given that NASA are the folks that literally saved the crew of Apollo 13, you know, they've done amazing technological miracles. You would imagine that reprogramming their flagship television network would be pretty straightforward and trivial. So why in a week, give or take, has it not, my answer, 
will be coming at you on the other side of the break. So I want to prepare everybody tonight. I want you to buckle down. I want you to really, really pay attention to everything that we are saying because these times are not normal. So you shouldn't have done that. They're not normal at all. And in a democratic society where everybody has a point of view and political input and there's power structures and power centers and all kinds of other control mechanisms, it's looking tonight like the control mechanisms of NASA have broken down. And the best thing they can do is hide. Now, how long are they going to hide? I don't know. I mean, we're all going to find out together. And I'm going to talk about some amazing things they could be hiding from when we return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Do not touch that dial. Judy Mikovits, and I've really enjoyed being on the other side of the news radio show tonight with with Cynthia, Tim, and Anetta as well. It was really a great experience for me, and I think things like the other side of the news because we don't hear these things. I saw this horrific commercial on TV and I know them to have perpetrated fraud in vaccine court. important for radio shows like this to have discussions. And I really think these types of radio shows reach a very large audience and people are listening. what I 
I think has changed everything. I just really think it's important for people to be able to hear in depth and hear the kinds of discussion worldwide so that we can compare experience and really wake up and heal everyone. everyone to the other side of midnight for this Saturday night, February 27, 2021. So is this going to be the year? Are we literally days or maybe a few weeks away from the most extraordinary modern announcement in the history of humankind that we are not alone? And that furthermore, we have an extraordinary history in the solar system on the planet Mars, that we can go with rocket ships like Elton John is uh, singing about. But the guy named Elon Musk is trying to lead us to, to verify with human eyes and human presence on the planet Mars that we, in fact, have an extraordinary history that someone for over 50 years, including folks in our own space agency, have not wanted us to know. And now, something has changed. So let me tell you what has changed. All right. If you go back to Radio with Pictures and you click on my items and you go down to, and let me make a few small changes here of my own. There we are. You want to go to item number, um, well, you want to go to item number six, first of all, <clears throat> because it turns out that we're not the only ones who have noticed this bizarre cessation of the data flow on the most important mission the unmanned mission of our, of our time right now. And observers from as far away as Bulgaria are trying to figure out from the outside what the heck could be going on. And it's kind of amusing to read this because, remember, these are straight-laced mainstream people who would never imagine that NASA's secret name is never a straight answer. Uh, and they're proposing all kinds of so-called logical and rational explanations 
for everything being bollocked up from, you know, here to uh, Timbuktu. In other words, they cannot imagine there is some kind of real suppression of information because NASA's caught on the horns of the Brookings dilemma. And so, you know, you might want to read that. Item number seven, um, this is where things get really interesting. Because if you click on item number seven, this is a comparison between the first color Hascam shot, which is when I knew we were in a different universe. And yes, Dorothy, no longer in Kansas. <laughs> because look at that blue sky. For the last 50 years, NASA has lied to us about the sky. You know, I was there at JPL in 76 when the Vikings landed, and I was standing next to Carl. Uh, that's Carl Sagan. And when the blue sky Viking image, the first color image, which we'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for them to process, when it was popped up on the screens, there was literal applause from the standing around and the Japanese and the Germans and all the international reporters who were hanging on everything that was going on with Viking. And Sagan, in a loud kind of uh, you know auditorium kind of voice, he looked at the screen and he said, you know, I almost can expect an old prospector on a burrow to wander in stage left. And a few hours later, all those monitors had Mars turn blood red. And I've told you the story of the uh, son of one of the principal investigators on one of the Viking instruments who was a kid, a teenager, and he'd seen the first picture. So he um, tried to reestablish the correct color balance by going to every monitor uh, in the press room and the cafeteria and the places where the press could gather, and he made it blue again. And he literally got called to the principal's office, meaning the project manager, Jim Martin, called him up to the main control building and read him the riot act and said if he ever did something like that again, regardless of who his dad was, he would be ejected from the project. He was an intern. And it was that serious for NASA to begin the lie that the atmosphere of Mars and the surface of Mars and the rocks of Mars and the rills of Mars are totally, totally red. I mean, ugh. And then they turned it to butterscotch. You know, there was a whole period there where instead of being red, it was kind of like uh, deep, dark butterscotch, and nothing can be seen, nothing can be differentiated. All a con, all a lie, obvious by this first amazing Hascam color image. Okay, now I want you to look at the image on the left in this composite. This is a uh, remote, robotic camera view, digital camera, at about 100,000 feet by a guy named Felix Baumgartner, who was basically a daredevil. And he got Red Bull to fund him to the tune of several million dollars. And those things hanging above him on those struts, those are cameras, digital cameras, stills and motion pictures and all that, to document his effort to break Joseph Kittinger's record back in 1960 when Kittinger jumped out of a uh, balloon capsule like a miniature spacecraft at 100,000 feet and free-falled over, what, 100,000 feet to the ground, opening parachutes, landing safely, 
and the first time a human being had ever done this. So Baumgartner wanted to do it one better. So I picked the better picture because they had lousy photographs of Kittinger back then, but he's the guy who should be credited of doing this first. And he was a consultant on Baumgartner's Red Bull team. So the loop of history is closed. Anyway, we are told constantly, look, look back now at the right-hand picture. We've been told constantly that the atmosphere of Mars is so thin, it's like six millibars. It's equivalent to the atmospheric pressure and density at 100,000 feet over Earth. Now, here's the reveal. Look at the picture on the right. That's the surface of Mars from Perseverance shot a little over a week ago. Look at the picture on the left. That's Baumgartner at about 100,000 feet. And look at the sky. See where the atmosphere is, where it's hugging the curved surface of the planet? The sky on Earth at 100,000 feet with that density, that vanishingly small trace of air that's still present. That's why he's wearing the spacesuit. If he wasn't, he'd die in, in seconds. The sky is black. It's pitch black. It's not tan or butterscotch or green or blue or red. It's black because there's not enough air up there to support Rayleigh scattering. So you see it as anything but black. Question. How can the Mars surface atmosphere be the equivalent of the Earth's atmosphere at 100,000 feet? And yet, look at the right-hand picture again, support something that looks like it was shot here in New Mexico or in Arizona or anywhere else on Earth in a desert looking toward the mountains? The answer is it can't. So this raises another question. Is NASA freaking out because their lies on many different levels are about to be revealed? Okay, look at number uh, eight. This is now a shot from Perseverance of the so-called sky crane when they cut the cables and it flew off. Look at the sky. It's looking straight up. It's blue. It's kind of purplish. It's, it's, it's not tan. It's certainly not black. And yet it's supposed to be the density of Earth at 100,000 feet. So these are some really important reasons why NASA might be kind of freaking out because someone did the wrong thing and revealed the wrong information about the real Mars. And the honest guys are freaking out because they're realizing that they've been lied to, too. Okay, look at number nine. All right. This is an object photographed by Percy with the incredible MassCam Z cameras processed by a member of our team, Keith Laney, who has one hell of a way with image processing algorithms. Look at this object. Actually, it's two objects. And it's hidden behind a ridge, which is in the foreground, with all kinds of other amazing objects. Well, we are surrounded by evidence like this. You can click on this, you can download it, you can take it into Photoshop, you can have fun with it. It's just amazing what you can see in this perseverance data, and it has not even begun yet. This is just the beginning of a mission that could literally last for, you know, uh, maybe 10 years. I mean, Curiosity is still going. 
strong after eight years, and it's powered by the same nuclear power source that uh, Perseverance is. So this is getting curiouser and curiouser and curiouser. Okay, number 10 uh, is a close-up of the bunker, as we've kind of been calling this, uh, done by Ron Gerbron and myself. Number 11 is, is basically to pose the rhetorical question. This is now an MRO, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, look-down shot of the landing site in Jezero Crater, or Jezero, as Will said is the appropriate pronunciation last week. The green dot is the location of Percy, right below those two incredibly symmetric craters. And if you look even casually, there's all kinds of rhythmic geometry present all over this site. Just look to the about the seven o'clock position um, where the ruins kind of end and the flat plain begins. In other words, if you look closely, someone should have noticed all the geometry and said, if they wanted to continue the cover-up, oh, for God's sake, don't land there. You know, there's no way we can keep it secret if you land there. So, of course, they landed there. And is that the reason that nobody kind of, you know, wrote the memo, let alone got the memo? Or is there something else going on? And that's where we come to item number 12. Because remember, tonight, upstairs, orbiting Mars, even as Percy is sitting on the surface, even as there's this incredible internal dissension within NASA, which has caused them to pull in every appendage and curl up like an armadillo in a ball and just pray that it all goes away, <clears throat> it's not going to, is the fact that the Chinese are waiting in the wings. They are orbiting Mars every few hours. They have an orbiter, they have a lander, and they have a rover. <clears throat> and they also happen to have a totally separate government, which has not been very friendly to the West for many, many years, and who would probably gleefully, in the so-called honest model, love to show up NASA for having lied to us all these years. So is that the forcing function? Is that what's going on? You might want to read the story because, again, it's written from a very mainstream perspective as to why China uh, it really does want to tackle Mars and reveal what's there and become the leading superpower on the planet and all that normal geopolitical stuff that you hear about. Um, I leave you with this as a mystery. What is really going on? What is driving our space agency into a total you know, freakout behind the scenes, which is showing up? in them doing things that no self-respecting government agency trying to interact with the Congress and the public would ever think of doing. And without further ado, I know I've taken up much too much time, but I wanted to give you the proper foundation for the evening's discussion with a roster of very interesting guests, starting with an old friend and colleague, Dr. John Brandenburg. You can read his entire bio there. John is a nuclear physicist. He also works a lot with plasmas, which means he's bumped into torsion, even if he doesn't recognize it. You can see all the places he's worked and all the agencies he's worked for and the missions he's been part of. The thing that is really important to me is I picked John decades ago to be part of the first independent Mars investigation run by the then Mars mission, which I converted to the Enterprise mission when it was clear that it was all involving something long, long, you know, beyond Mars. 
And John was a member of our first team of investigators looking at Mars. And I asked him on the, the, uh, the panel uh, tonight as well as decades ago for one specific reason. When I, when I invited John to be part of the Independent Mars investigation, I said to him, Dr. Brandenburg, I've noticed some really bizarre anomalies in the Viking isotope analysis of the Martian atmosphere. Is it possible that those isotopes are in fact due to an ancient nuclear war on Mars? And it took John a while, but he's written an amazing book, and he's going to talk to us tonight about updates to what the answer is in the book and now from behind the scenes. So that kind of sets John up to what he's going to be contributing. Uh, our next guest is Andrew Curry. You know him as our resident um, artist, and he does amazing reconstructions of the artifacts and has some new things to share with us tonight in terms of this analysis. Uh, Bob Harrison is with us from Britain. Uh, Bob was a former keen investor who was able to pile a stash, retire early, and is now devoting full time to the anomalies on Mars. And he has, you know, come up with some really interesting new data, including what the bunker seen in those first Percy panoramas conceivably might be if you look at the landing site from orbit, from Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. And then we have Ron Gerbron, my friend, colleague, another generalist who we have been literally working all week to try to prepare some stuff here. Again, all these folks' bios are on the page, so I won't have to read them. Keith Morgan, of course, is with us. He used to be with Ted Koppel. He's now our um, specialist in IT and communications. Uh, Tim Saunders has joined us all the way from Turkey. He's a British national who has an incredible, passionate love for the sea. He's literally a marine architect. He designs ships, yachts, mega yachts, and he did some of the first three-dimensional modeling for us for the video, <clears throat> the briefing video, which was sent to the then president of the United States, uh, Don, Don, you know, Donald uh, Trump. So with that uh, as prologue, who wants to comment first about my political analysis of why NASA is dissolving into a puddle of jello tonight before our very eyes? Uh, <laughs> you're all, so, you're all so adventurous. It's always so quiet. Yes. Okay. I waited just to hear the quiet space. Okay. Who else is there? So, uh, I'm. Uh, yeah. i as John, This is John Brandenburg again. Um, Bob, I was going to mention uh, that just like you were influenced by the pyramids of Elysium. Bob, are you there? Oh, well. Just anyway. unmuting. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. The bane of yeah, the 21st uh, yeah. century, I unmuting. Been, I had been studying, uh, you know, Sagan's book, Cosmos, and had been reading about the pyramids of Elysium the day before I saw the first pictures of the face on Mars, you know, the two different pictures uh, done by DiPietro Molinar. So that was a very important, um, you know, data point to me that suggested that uh, all may not, you know, that, that 
the narrative on Mars that it was a uh, always a dead planet like the moon <clears throat> was perhaps uh, a rush to judgment. But anyway, I will just simply say that in any cover-up like this, uh, which, you know, I've had Mars scientists tell me, yes, there is a cover-up on Mars, as if I didn't know it, <laughs> but they, you know, and, and uh, I will just say that Murphy's law indicates that all cover-ups must eventually end because suddenly um, they land in the wrong place on Mars. See, John, let me interrupt. I don't buy that for one nanosecond. You know why? Because we have exquisite reconnaissance. They've known exactly what's everywhere on Mars. There are ruins all over Mars. You can hardly land on Mars without running into a ruin. They deliberately picked an ancient lake bed which will have successive civilizations desperately following the water as Mars got worse and worse and worse and worse. So this was predictable. Sure. So why are they caught so flat-footed? Well, that's that's a good question. If they were, uh, this was all some part of some genius plan. How come it's uh, timing? Sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. Is it, is it, yeah, it's timing. It's timing. It's timing. Yeah, they had a they had a schedule. God knows what it is. And I, for me, to me, I think it's the keep moving the goalposts schedule. But you know, they claimed to have a schedule, and somebody breached it. Hmm. Well, it had to be more than somebody because there's there's teams doing all this stuff. You don't get stuff posted on the web. You don't get press conferences called. You don't get you know NASA television slots without a huge army of people behind the scenes all cooperating to make these things seamlessly happen. And the system as a whole is obviously totally broken down. And the first rule in bureaucracy is never let them see you sweat, particularly when dollars are on the line vis-a-vis -vis Congress. So why are they looking like really rank amateurs in every possible direction when the world is clamoring for more new Mars color images? Uh, the silence again. Well, <laughs> uh, well, I go ahead, Doctor Brandenburg. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll just say uh, the you know the the best laid plans of mice and men. Something uh, something happened that was uh, unplanned. Well, unplanned yeah. to whom? See, if we divide NASA into two tiers, which I've done for decades. Remember, I've said sure. it again and again. Most of the system is honest, meaning the folks that, uh -huh. are, that are running the cover-up behind the scenes was very tiny, very limited, and they never let anybody else know what was going on. And the data notwithstanding, uh, you could explain away most of the stuff we've been talking about if you simply don't have the eyes to see it. In other words, what the mind cannot imagine, the brain cannot conceptualize. And we see this again and again and again, going back to that classic story from Sagan himself about the French ships that, you know, went into a harbor somewhere in the Northwest and the Indians literally could not see the ships with the white sails and until the guys in the long boats rode ashore and walked up to them. I mean, that could be apocryphal, yeah. but I'm based on my experience with a lot of so-called straight mainstream NASA folks. You look, you, t you show them these pictures, they don't see a damn thing. 
not because they don't want to, but because they literally can't see it. Yes, John, go ahead. I'll tell you a story I heard on the Clementine mission. They were talking about uh, the the people running the Clementine mission were from the Navy, for the most part, uh, Naval Center for Space Technology at NRL. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the jokes, uh, we had some NASA people kind of along for the ride. It was a DOD mission launched from Vandenberg, just like the InSight mission, by the way, to Mars. And But anyway, they the, the joke was that in hiring people for NASA, they would uh, ask them the test question that, you know, if you're sitting in a lab – next to a fire extinguisher and a fire breaks out on a nearby experimental table, what do you do? And, uh, you know, the answer of some people was just to grab the fire extinguisher and put out the fire. And uh, that was the wrong answer, as it turns out. The right answer was to find the manual of standard operating procedure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're kidding. And consult consult the, the manual before doing anything. Which is a rigid bureaucracy. So they pre-select people yeah, to, yeah. to they work. Don't, they that. don't hire people to uh, act spontaneously or heroically. See, there's a model out there, <clears throat> Ron, hint, hint, that says that yes. since NASA is hired a whole bunch of millennials, when you look at the video of the landing, it's, they're all basically kids. And this yeah. model says that you can't control millennials and they're just, you know, loused up the system because they see what's there and they're just, you know, kind of straining at the bit to tell the truth. <clears throat> and my answer is, if they did anything as dumb and stupid as that, they'd be out in a nanosecond. They would never get another job in aerospace, and they would be forbidden forever from having access to the candy store where the really good stuff that they spent their entire lives in education getting ready to be part of, they'd never be part of it again, and that's the control it's self-control because the downside is you never get to be on the inside anymore. Well, there is evidence for that. Evidence for what? I mean, well, I one, uh, yeah, millennials they may be, but I, I, I think they're mostly adults. It's only to some of us, like myself, that uh, they're all a bunch of kids. But uh, the uh, panoramas that came out uh, from them so quickly – you know, we were all amazed how fast they came out, and you and I both noticed they're they're sloppy. Yeah, hang on a second. Now, they don't hang on, hang on. We we're at the top of the hour. We have to take a break. Okay. Otherwise, Ooh, a, Fred will get unhappy. And you wonder who Fred is. Season. I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay, you're on the other side of midnight. We're talking about a mystery. Is NASA about to come clean? Are we about to finally get the panoply of everything that's been there? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, science is nothing if it's not prediction. And as of tonight, based on what's going on, the only thing I can predict for NASA is they are between the proverbial rock and a hard place. The rock, of course, is that they somehow make this all go away. Kind of impossible when you have teams all over the world and the public is watching and the photographs are out there. The blue sky is out there. That thing over the hill, the bunker, it, wait till you see the rest of the stuff that our guys have found. The alternative is that they somehow between now and May or June 
when the Chinese are supposed to land, they somehow come clean. They somehow say, oh my God, look at that. We didn't know this was here. And what do you think the public will believe? And is it really important? Does the public care about process? Does the public have a memory? Do they realize that there's been this 20, 30-year debate over what's on Mars, the face, Sidonia, all the stuff that I've devoted most of my professional life to trying to figure out? I would say probably not, that they actually might get away with it. And Kintia, you can edit out a little beforehand so that we fit this within the time frame. But it's important to give a background because within the foreseeable future, what we've all been waiting for, praying for, wishing for, desperately hoping for, could in fact come true. And you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. With pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nonlinearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Saturday night. February 27th, 2021. The year we get pregnant, or something like that. Okay, back to the conversation. Uh, Who else has an opinion on the politics, what's going on behind the scenes? I love these long pauses. Good evening, Richard. Timothy. Hello, Timothy. How are you doing? Yes, I would also like to add that I'm very happy that you noticed the elephants in the room that the sky is in fact blue. (laughs) But you would think that somebody from NASA would actually say, well, previously we thought it was red, sort of a soupy vegetable soup color red, but now it's blue. So you think somebody would actually come forward and say this is because, but has anybody mentioned this at all? Nothing. Zero. Nada. And remember, so, if, if, if NASA assembled a group of guys that would basically lie about why the sky is blue and not red, there's a whole bunch of meteorologists all over the world who are not part of NASA 
who aren't part of the government, don't work for the government, don't work for any federal agency, who know their meteorology and would say, that explanation, you know, that, that, that's nuts, doesn't work. So on that fact alone, I think they're kind of hung on their own petard because they've been so religiously, obsessively changing the color of every image for 50 years to make it look red. Well, that's that's what I think that the delay is all about is obviously the fudging, the fudging process, because all week I've been looking in on various photographs coming through and there are not that many. When you go to the actual NASA website itself, as you say, there are something like 5,000 plus photographs. These are the raw um, images. Raw images, yes. Yeah, I yeah. literally fell asleep at the keyboard looking <laughs> for the ones I was trying to find. Um, but what I did notice is that the quality was terrible, even on the raw photographs. I mean, it, it's when I say terrible, maybe the raw data is there, but the way they come through, you know, the in, my interface, which is my laptop screen or my large monitor, mm-hmm. it just seems that there's an awful lot of fudge in there as well. Another level and, of filtering and filtering and filtering. Did you see the video which is up on the main page of the uh, entry, descent, and landing? Yes, yes, I, I've right. seen. I believe I've seen that one. Yes, I've stunning, I've seen. stunning. With with like I think five cameras looking up, looking down, uh, all being beautiful color. The landscape is the right color. Everything is wonderful. Yeah. Including, as I showed with the sky crane, when you look up, the sky is blue. It's not black. It's blue, and it's supposed to be the air at 100,000 feet. Okay. Now, it, it, it may be that they focused on that as you know something to polish up in, in the beginning, because we should give them a slight amount of credit, and that is that this rover is on the surface of another planet. Presumably, it transmits uh, its data to, I don't know, does it use the same orbiters as Curiosity or does it have its own orbiters? No, no, no. It, 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 it's using three now, you know, one from three. the Europeans and two from NASA, and they act as relay satellites. So it's And then using it can also downlink Odyssey, directly. Odyssey and Mars Reconnaissance orbiters. Yeah, IMRO, Odyssey, and then Trace Gas Explorer, which is the European uh, okay. spacecraft. And the Chinese will have their own, as you mentioned already. Mm-hmm. Of course, they want to keep a secure, yeah, a secure line of communication. So let's say that you know, these three orbiters are going around the planet and the rover can transmit certain, or I guess it transmits when it wishes, but I guess it's always in contact with at least one of these orbiters, which means that the message is then relayed back to Earth no, within... Not all the time. No? If there's one overhead, it can, it can do an upload. But that's what it's got its own memory and it stores them until it gets a chance. That's what they've always done. So what sort of delay, Ron, do you think we're talking about between the actual transmission and the receiving the message on Earth? Oh, they actually said that it takes about a day to get the data back from the previous day. So you're looking at, you know, morning uplink, rover does its thing, downlinks pictures when the satellites come over. They get to JPL in 11 minutes because of speed of light. It's then processing in the computers, so you're not seeing it in real time. It's usually delayed about 24 hours, and it could be even longer depending upon the satellite passes, because not every spacecraft is going to pass directly overhead. It has to do with well, the phasing I, of orbits and all that. Absolutely, and, and also that you know the amount of data being sent as well. I mean, I, I'm sending large 3D models of my my yacht mm-hmm. and so on, and even those take sometimes a, a surprising mm-hmm. amount of time to upload on, on Earth. Yeah. 
But see, none so, of that affects the quality of the data because it's redundant code. They send it multiple times so the noise is driven away. It's, it's what's on these images. So what I was getting to is when you went through the raw image file, and Ron and I looked at this immediately, those individual frames from that stunning video of the landing yeah. came out the most outrageous, gregarious, garish, flamingo, Miami pink. You can imagine. Mm. Crap. Total crap. Why? Because Mars, in the minds of most people, is red. So somebody made it really red, and of course it's useless, and you have to correct it and all this stuff, and who has the time or the inclination? So what they're doing is filtering, 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 so you wind up with a handful of crazies like us, and we don't, we're nowhere near 7 billion people, so they have kept the day of inevitability delayed by whatever time they think they're buying till they do something different. And they have not fixed the NASA TV schedule, which is outrageous because that's trivial to fix. Somebody, and this gets back to Ron's model, which is there's active descent. There's mutineers inside that are storming the bridge, taking control of the ship. And they're leaving NASA select in lousy condition so everybody knows something weird is going on. It's like a cry for help. Remember when back in 68 – uh, we had a, uh, a Navy intelligence patrol boat get captured by the North Koreans, and it was Commander Booker and his crew. And the Koreans, of course, you know, beat them and you know tortured them, and then forced them to stand and make confessions. And what Booker did is they were confessing to their crimes. He blinked Morse code with his eyes into the camera, which was translated by some media bright guy over here. And it basically, his, his code said, it's all a lie. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. So is someone in NASA doing that in an elegant way by simply screwing up NASA TV to the point where <clears throat> they have control and they won't give it back until NASA comes clean? Is it internal blackmail? Richard, I have a, a point here. Sure, Andrew. Yeah, I want to touch on exactly what you just said about the media. You said there was a media member who recognized the Morse code. Mm -hmm. So the reverse question of whatever NASA might be doing is uh, there's video and pictures of blue skies. So where are the reporters? Where is the media asking the pertinent questions? For instance, Mike Wall from Space.com. I mean, I haven't looked uh, recently to see what he's been writing, but are we seeing that in our media? It seems to me the media is a lapdog for whoever has control these days. That might well, this is not new, Andrew. Remember, I've yes. been part of this thing, and I'm, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on, okay? Okay. If you're – I used to be an upstart. I was a rebel. I would stand up at these press conferences, and I would ask – this was back when I thought NASA was honest. And I would ask the most outrageous questions that no reporter, of course, had the background to ask except me. And eventually I got a rep. And they would no longer call on me because I wasn't a good boy. And I was even taken aside one time by the head of public affairs. And the guy said, Hoagland, you've got to pay attention to other people. You can't hog the limelight for yourself. You can't ask these stupid questions. If you keep doing it, you, I'm going to you know, get rid of your credentials. So everybody toes the line, not because they want to, but because they can turn off the spigot, the candy machine, any time and kick you out. 
So does that mean that they're uh, broadly hinting at the media that there's a no-fly zone for certain topics and certain – Yes, yes, okay. unequivocally, unequivocally. Okay. So that's why no reporters have blown the whistle. But if you look at the yeah. private websites, if you look at this guy from Bulgaria, right. he's asking all the right questions. He's just providing right. all his own wrong answers because he can't imagine. And look at where they had to come. Say again? I, look, I said look at where they had to come from. Yeah, that's how far out of the mainstream <laughs> uh, channels. They, well, no, no, I'm casting no shade on Bulgaria or Romania or um, anywhere over there. They They do a lot of that kind of. Uh, we don't care. We can ask and tell anything we like. Uh, so it's, well, isn't yeah, it interesting it's, it's, how former totalitarian societies have more of an idea of freedom of the press and what it really means than our guys? Because if they all got together, NASA couldn't ban all of them. It would, it would, it would show up. You know, we're in an we're in an era, era in an era of diversity and demonstrations and public striking back. I mean, the whole Trump thing for four years was getting back at the system. So why don't they band together? Because this is my suspicion. There's such a com- competition between these agencies, news services, television networks, blogs, space.com, whatever, that nobody will cooperate with anybody else. And why is that God awful familiar? Indeed. Anybody else? Before I forget, I don't think that they're in competition with each other. I think they're mastered by the same hand, Richard. I think that's that's the obvious See, answer. See, this is where it? you and I disagree. That's, totally, totally, well, totally. I agree with Tim. Well, I do not agree with Tim because I, I because will, because there used to be there used to be personas who were bigger than NASA who actually could ask deep questions and did not get ejected. They just had to be very determined. And know how to squawk if it happened, and then rise the cry of First Amendment, First Amendment. But no one seems to be politically adept or want to make bad feelings among the people they have to deal with on this subject every day. So they take the least course of resistance. It's not that they're being instructed, Tim, not to ask questions. You know, they're, they're bright people. I know some of them. It's that the system itself is designed to eliminate the outliers, and have everybody obey the rules. I agree with the second part of that, yes. Okay. Okay. One uh, thing about you mentioned factions within NASA and uh, and in the the original way that the face on Mars image was released was because of Hal Mazursky, if I'm not mistaken. No, it was and Jerry Soffin. It was it was it was the it was the um, um, project scientist himself. I got to know Jerry and his wife. We took some trips during the Viking summer up to San Francisco. I actually got to meet Timothy O'Leary through Jerry. Really interesting afternoon. Well, Incredibly interesting afternoon. Jerry later invited me to give a presentation on Sedonia at the tenth anniversary Viking dinner. And suddenly, suddenly, that was contravened. And a year or two later, his wife was found floating face down in their swimming pool, dead. And Jerry became a hopeless shell. He never recovered. And it's because he pressed the boundaries. 
These people are serious. It's not just a conspiracy. Oh, it's a conspiracy with, 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 uh, with, security with prejudice, yes. John, want to add something? Uh, well, I just, I just wanted to mention that it's my understanding that tensions within the, the – the, there was this, the scientific team that was trying to choose the landing site, which was supposed to be Cydonia, and they were suddenly vetoed by some other committee, ostensibly because Cydonia was too rocky for Viking <laughs> to land it in. And so they, there was the Face on Mars release was due to the annoyance of oh. the scientific team at being overruled by some other committee they'd never even heard of, apparently. I of never heard that. John, I never heard that story. Never heard yeah, that story. I remember seeing that written down someplace, and um, and they said that the, the account I heard was that it was Hal Mazursky was trying to show his annoyance with uh, with the NASA management. Hmm. And um, so then, they, of course, they went and landed in Utopia, which turned out to be. Incredibly rocky. It was a miracle that the uh, <laughs> lander survived there when they took the first picture and it showed Viking size, Viking lander sized boulders to the horizon. Yep. Uh, and uh, so, so anyway, I just I just wanted to mention these or these organizations are not monoliths. There are factions, and uh, occasionally. Um, they will get annoyed and do things that are off script. Yeah, but nothing on the scale of this. I, I mean, I've been a NASA follower, NASA consultant for decades. I've never seen the disillusion of the uh, branding, the veneer, the surface uh, front they present to the public in the way this is going on, to where people even in Bulgaria are noticing. Bob, let's let's. Oh, well, let's, yes, yeah. it is it is remarkable, and uh, thank you for pointing it out, uh, Richard. Okay, if nobody has any yeah. more opinions on this, uh, I want. Yes, Ron. Yeah, I Richard, do. Richard, one thing, very short. Oh, and, and, and someone else it. also. I, yeah, mine's quick. Richard, you mentioned uh, the curiosity picture of uh, Gale City. Uh, yes. Before, and the one that was released from JPL, which backs up what was what we just heard. Uh, about the dissension inside uh, that panorama that they did is beautiful and it has a blue sky well remember they played a little head game with curiosity they would give you a mars version and then what they called a white balance version that they claimed helped the geologist differentiate the terrain and of course that made no scientific sense at all but they're not talking to scientists all the scientists that will be listening to them all have NASA contracts and will all stay in line. Otherwise, they won't have NASA contracts. So that's the censorship by price that they exercise on the community. And the press just doesn't understand science anymore, so they don't know enough to understand the double talk that they were given on the Curiosity so-called white-balanced images. I'll, I'll uh, leave you with one final thought on this subject. I wrote a science fiction trilogy about the collapse of the UFO cover-up and the aftermath of that. Ooh. And in the last book of the trilogy, it's called the Morning Star UFO Trilogy. Uh, 
two characters crash on Mars. They're the first human beings, at least officially, to land on Mars. And the first thing they notice when they open up the uh, hatch on their spacecraft is that the sky is blue. And they, one of them is a journalist. She's a woman journalist. And she says, oh, my God, the UFO cover-up has collapsed now for years. But the Mars cover-up continues. <laughs> ah, <laughs> that's a good line. I like that. Mm. I, I think it was, I, you know, it's just part of an oversight. Every, everything was being done in a uh, crisis situation, a war situation, actually. And uh, so they just forgot to tell anybody that the bar's sky was actually blue. Well, the way NASA's acting, it's almost like they forgot to tell the folks out front, the honest folks, what they were really going to find when they set Perseverance down where it set down. I mean, they're acting yes. like they're totally, totally flummoxed. Another ancient word that my grandmother used to use. Richard, right. may I ask you about your thoughts on Bulgaria? Because your comment just now gave the idea that even people as far away as Bulgaria are noticing this. But surely you must agree that information travels at the speed of light through the internet and so on. So I don't think your proximity to NASA has no, no, no. It's not about proximity. Any correlation with you being more on top than somebody it, in, in it, Bulgaria? It's about having lived under an oppressive dictatorial political system, and have a, a kind of a suspicion of things going on behind the scenes that American reporters seem to be too naive in the most general uh, appreciation of their reaction or non-reaction, as opposed to overseas, where you know press actually do ask better questions. I yeah, I, I think we need to have another conversation at another time. But <laughs> I think that basically what we're saying is the other elephant in the room is that the uh, I think what it is is NASA actually doesn't really care. I think that they do not feel they have a responsibility to report things as accurately as they used to because there's a whole lot of other lies flying around at the moment, in my opinion. And I think the public opinion is really become a much lower priority uh, or serving the public opinion has become a much lower priority than has in previous decades. And as a result, if they want to cancel the press conference, who cares? It's, it's all about them. It's not about us. Hmm. Seems like a pattern in the last four years. Anyway, um, let's move on to data. Bob, you solved a major problem. Uh, for the last week, we've all been wondering what is this bunker like thing sticking up over that nearby hill and Robert Harrison spent time and effort and meticulously found out what it is. Bob, you want to take the floor and, uh, and talk about it? And we've got some images and yes. radio with pictures. Yes. Good morning, Richard. If uh, people scroll down below Richard's items, the first item they'll come across is a uh, bunker, Robert Harrison's number one. And if you click on that uh, thumbnail image, which I'll do now, and then click again to enlarge it, um, so the bunk on the right of the colorized image, uh, I've circled the bunker in red, and the, on the left, no, on the right, on the left is <laughs> on, the, on the right is a, a little uh, blue icon which shows where Perseverance rover has landed. Uh, 
Now, how I found this was uh, the clues in um, the previous images of the bunker. You can so um, so Rich's item number nine or, or nine or ten, I think. Nine, nine. So you can see, in, if people want to go back to that, you can see behind that that it's pretty close where Perseverance's land is, is pretty close to one of the walls of uh, Zero Crater, and that's the mountains that are looming in the background. And an extended version of this pan uh, on the right of the bunker, towards the right, um, you can see what is uh, obviously the delta area, the, the, the fossilized delta area uh, that they're interested in, uh, which is cliff-like at the end due to erosion, and so it's quite high up. Um, so that that meant that um, obviously, you know, this bunker lay between the uh, nearest crater wall and to the left of the delta area. Uh, I then, you know, so I started moving away uh, from where the landing site was on. Um, so we click back into Robert's items number one. The landing area um, in that direction on the high-rise images, you know, these are the very high-resolution images that are taken by um, the Mars Reconnaissance Observer Orbiter. And I thought this thing would only be a few hundred yards away. <laughs> yeah, that was my thought initially. Yeah, it's sort of much smaller. And then moving westwards, I found the only thing that matched up with linking the the eastern edge of it uh, with of the above image with what we saw looking west uh, from the lander was this butte, this flat top butte. Uh, so going so if we go down, we've got the high resolution image. Image. The bunker is actually on the left of it, this image, far left, with an arrow pointing in the general direction of the rover. And so the images on the the sorry the edges on the visible on the eastern yeah eastern side of this thing because it's flipped match up very well with what we can see with that looking west image. Is there a reason why you inverted these images, the high resolution? Well, the high resolution, this is the way it came upon the, um, came upon the high view image. Right. And I originally, you know, I made uh, the bottom three images um, to show around just on one poster. And then I thought later on for the show, I thought, oh, I'll add the a screenshot of the 
perseverance location map. Which also gives us a scale bar in the bottom left. Which is very useful. Which, where north is at the top of the image bit. See, all this stuff normally, guys, would have been done by NASA. And it hasn't been. They just rushed out these pictures and then dissolved into a puddle of jello. And we're at the bottom of the hour. So tell you, hold it there, Bob. Um, this just gets curiouser and curiouser and curiouser. And I guarantee you, because the Chinese are in the mix, you ain't seen nothing yet in terms of curi curiosity. No, we're on another mission. A twin at another place. A place which, if you look at those MRO images, uh, back to my, you know, I forget which number, probably 11 or so, there is stunning indication from orbit that we're surrounded by geometric ruins. Remember Sagan's first dictum, intelligent life on Earth first manifests itself in the geometric regularity of its designs. Anybody who understands archaeology or geometry, looking at those MRO shots of Gisero, had to know what they were getting into. So how come the current meltdown? What are we missing? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. I and my guests will return. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to the Saturday night edition of The Other Side of Midnight. 11.30 here in the high desert in the Land of Enchantment, north of Albuquerque, deep on the shoulders of the Sandias. I mean, I look out at my landscape and I look at this incredible real color. Oh, did I mention that they didn't put any JPEG artifacts? The data is incredibly clean. There's a little bit of a color balancing to some of the frames that of course can be corrected in what they call uh, calibration and they're now transferring from the EDL software the landing software to their surface operational software which buys them another few days before they will bite the bullet or will have to bite the bullet and confront a public that wants to know what's on Mars and is having a very difficult time finding out 
anything new. I mean, if you go to the gallery for the press and the general public where they put up finished pictures, the last data dump they, they put up last night has nothing but two solid banks of advertisements and tchotchkes and brass plaques and all kinds of other crap having nothing to do with the science of the mission. It's filler. Someone is desperately putting up nonsense because they don't have any real data to post because the teams cannot agree on what to take photographs of and what to label and write captions for and what to officially publish. Again, I'm speaking as someone who knows the system, gosh, this sounds vaguely familiar, from the inside. So only I can fix it. No, that was that was someone else. Anyway, back to our, our guest this morning. Uh, Bob, you want to pick up where you were, please? Yes. So the short answer is I, um, I didn't slip the high-rise images uh, to make north top because I didn't I didn't have the time. Ah, so, perfectly I, I, legitimate. I, I, yes. <laughs> okay. So on the, on the, so on the high so one of the so um, so on that second part under high resolution images of the bunker of the poster on the right I put this area looks more like ruins uh, or vestigial ruins of the sort you might find in an archaeological site on Earth. So an archaeological site, say, in the Middle East, you know, you'd have a low mound of rocky rubble, and then there would be suspicious-looking um, hollows and furrows in it, uh, which would suggest that strongly that it wasn't natural, that it would be ruins. So there's... Although uh, there's a lot of this sort of vid, uh, what's the word vestigial ruin effect uh, around uh, zero crater in the in the eastern part western part of it, um, and so if you scroll down, I've done a, a contrast stretch to make that clearer, so it's darker and the lighter bits, the stonier bits, which are lighter. Uh, uh, Whiter looking. Just for those folks that aren't used to looking at Mars images from satellite orbit, those funny linear things are sand dunes. Yes. With the shadows and the wind sculpting. The angled rectilinear cluster on the right of the mesa, which remember is flipped northeast to the bottom. If those aren't ruins, what the hell else could they be? They look like the really, really ancient remains of former buildings fairly sizable with only a few remnants sticking up above the sand. And again, anybody who understands archaeology would look at this and go, oh my God, that's got to be artificial. And if you, t if you tilt your head to the left, I should have made a, a rotated version of this. You'll start to see a little bit of geometry, uh, crisscrossing geometry. Oh, absolutely! By the way, remember that. Out. Remember that famous Harvard experiment with the cats. I find the cats were interesting because they're related to us. They found in this. This is back in the 50s that if they did uh, scans of animals with electrodes to see if they're responding to their visual stimuli, and they oriented the geometry up and down, the cats could see it, and if they tilted it 
the cats did not respond. They couldn't see it. So this geometry, you got to kind of rotate these images around until you see the underlying geometry kind of spring out of the picture at you. But when you tilt your head 45 degrees to the left or to the right, it's there. Those are ruins. How come NASA, with $19.5 billion a year, did not notice where they were landing? I can't believe it. So did they not just – did, did the, the honest folks just not get the memo? I don't know. Maybe, maybe because there's so there's much better looking ruin like effects on the Martian surface, they just didn't notice these ones. Uh, so the bottom the bottom one is just uh, full resolution of that that bunker feature. And remember, uh, uh, cliff, uh, perse perseverance is looking at it from the left in this yeah. picture. So it's seeing that set of features on the left. I still am amazed it's that far away and it's that big. And do yes, you it, do you know what it, Jim Bell, who's the PI, said in one of these secret briefings that Chris Rogers somehow found like I did? He said the first object we're gonna go to is this thing on the ridge. The first thing they're gonna drive to. Now how could he say that as the principal investigator because he described it as a mesa with a lidded cap, and he talked about all the usual geological terms of mesas, not even mentioning the stunning geometric regularity inside in the shadows and the other objects sitting in front of it and all the junk lying around on the ridge, which you'd have to drive past to get there. At the very least, it's going to be a spectacular thing. You know, it's about a thousand feet uh, at its greatest length. That's the length. Those, that's uh, the length, Bob, of the Nimitz or yeah. the Roosevelt. This is an aircraft carrier-sized structure. And apparently, those cliffs on the left-hand side of it are about 200 feet tall. So uh, it's going to be very impressive when they drive up to it. And I, I this quite a few shallower slopes that you can get to the top of it a person walking oh i can, I, I can see exactly it. where they could drive up up yep. in the in the in the bottom panel you see that cleft between the top part and the bottom part on the left that's a slope a, a tower slope you simply drive up and then you're on top and the view up there of all of jezero and all the ruins would be spectacular Yes, those uh, ruins to the right on the picture above mm -hmm. uh, might be visible. In fact, in um, very frustrating with Spirit Rover, you know, when it drove up the uh, Columbia Hills, in one direction there is sort of uh, crisscrossing ridges creating box effects. You know, it's on the southeast mm -hmm. part of the Columbia Hills, which have these, this strange arrow shape. And from above, you know, from high up on the hills, it was disappointing they didn't drive in that direction. Of course um, not. <laughs> you, could just, you could just make this out, that it was quite geometrical, but was much clearer, of course, from mm. uh, high rise. 
So if we if we go out to that, there's a second item I've got. Number two in your radio pictures. Yes, which would be useful. Uh, people might have to refresh the page, which is this uh, interactive map they've got. Ah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when it comes up, it takes time to load. If you, there's a... Um, oh, that is cool. Little icon on the... Uh, left, click on that, it'll go full screen. Um, do. Why is the left-hand side in this image, which obviously you grabbed your color uh, view from, why is it dark on the left-hand side? That almost looks like a negative effect in the imaging that was oversaturated, and so it flipped to a negative uh, uh, grayscale. Yeah. It's a photo defect. Well, it's not real. If you, yeah, if you zoom into this image and uh, and you, so if you, if you uh, scroll wheel, you can go in and out of it. Right. And if you left click and drag, you can you know move to an area you want. Um, so it's it, it, a lot of it is at different resolutions. I think um, around uh, where it's landed. It's more from the uh, high-rise camera, and further out, it's more from the CTX uh, context camera, which is more low resolution. And I, I've found that the more interesting items uh, or areas are actually towards, about, looks like about five miles or so to the south and southeast. Um, so the sort of oh yeah, I see them. Yeah, exactly. So there's sort of uh, some pyramidal things. Yep. Uh, well, so see I've, again, Bob. This this brings my you know back to what I said before. In this location, I'm seeing more ruins from orbit than in any other place that we've ever looked at. How could they think they could land and get away with anything unless they're not trying to get away? And this is part of as Ron said, the plan, in which case, why is NASA freaking out if this is the plan? Anybody want to maybe, grab that one? Bob, start. Well, maybe they just thought that these ruins were, or you know, uh, suggested ruins were less observable to most people. You know, this you know, we know there's places on Mars where there's massive right-angled, raised, crisscrossing walls that, you know, just hit you in the eye. <laughs> the yep, the yep. most obvious. Uh, if you landed in those places and then put up a, um, you know, context images for it, a map image for it, everybody would see <clears> it. You know, people who don't look for these things would see it. Whereas in this case, a lot of it's a lot more subtle. Although there's an area about five miles to the south, uh, south east. There are things built all over this place. Yeah. As we've modeled, and anybody you know join in on this, as we've modeled over the years, the big day of disclosure, it's the president sitting behind the resolute desk, looking into the camera, very serious. My fellow Americans, I have something very important. You know, kind of like Reagan when he talked about the Challenger 
uh, a disaster and they've now touched the face of God, that kind of thing. We'd never envisioned, at least I never envisioned, a dissolute mess that once the authority figure said, this is what we're going to do, everybody wouldn't kind of fall in line. I'm really wondering if Ron's model is correct and there is a wild mutiny going on inside and this was not planned. It's just kind of grown like topsy. Uh, Richard, it's all your fault. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, you mean, well, no, you mean Rogan calling me a schizophrenic called all, caused all this? Or Elon Musk oh, no. called him up right after the show and said, Good God, you can't do that. So, oh, he did. Okay, I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm, that's a spec, that's a wild joke. That's a joke. Okay. Oh, you're hoping. Okay. Uh, the, uh, well, we're all crazy here. Uh, the, uh, no, you made us think about it immediately. And it just so happened that the, uh, stuff that they happened to be pointed at when they first started taking pictures was, uh, a little too blatant to get away with that. I mean, people are ready for this. The ones that are shaking are all of the people that have stuff under peer review right now explaining something based on the idea that it's a dead place and always has been. Well, remember, it's not the general the, the, public. The, the Perseverance mission has been designed from the get-go eight years ago to search for ancient fossil life on Mars. Not current life, but ancient fossil life. Certainly not ruins. And not even, you know, the green stuff, which I'm really suspecting could be living things, you know, a la Lowell and canals. And remember, we're right at the edge of Sirtis Major, that big greenish, you know, triangular thing that Cassini first saw back in the 1700s as a feature on Mars. So what if they've landed amid life and all their careful experiments designed to find fossils is kind of stupid? Well, it's moot. Well, yeah, of course. Now, yeah. not really, because you're going to want to go and trace the history, and that's important. But if you leap to the end of the book, if you tell everybody this is the ending before you get to the beginning in their plan, that might be enough to really upset their apple cart. It's like, you know, again, looking at it from Ron's point of view, how are the academics going to write their papers about this? Jeez, we can't say that. Well, they can, but that might invalidate the last 16 papers that they got published. And I mean, nobody in the general public would be upset. They go, oh, okay, you're updating your thoughts based on newer information. I mean, I really think people are so, willing to let them so, have, a, okay. you know, have so, a mulligan on that. The simple question I have, and anybody can join in on this. Remember, this is a conversation. Why haven't they fixed NASA TV? Remember Gene Roddenberry. If it's real, Dick, it will be on television. Well, their television is totally screwed up. Nothing can be plotted, planned, predicted, taped, you know, followed. And there's huge gaping holes with nothing coming out on television about Percy, nothing from NASA. Someone's noticing. Somebody in Bulgaria is noticing. So why isn't Congress noticing? Why aren't there phone calls flying back and forth between you know, Congress and the White House, you know, remember, it's NASA's, Biden's NASA now. Why isn't someone saying, what the hell is going on, and why don't you fix it? Because it's so simple to fix that schedule. Is someone leaving it unfixed because it's part of 
the mutiny. I don't know who's in charge of all those various divisions. I mean, there is definitely a room full of people somewhere that are responsible for running NASA TV. So yeah. are they not getting new information? Uh, I, it, they, or have they been um, put on hold and say, you know what? Everybody just take a week off. Just, just, uh, you know, just put on your mask and go pretend to eat at a restaurant or something uh, for a while. We'll all we figure this out. It might, it might just be that. I mean, they might not be uh, doing a sort of a silent strike or anything. See, one indicator is I've tried calling a couple of inside sources. Nobody Uh is answering the phone or calling me back. Nobody. Yeah. Which is a dead giveaway that something big is going on and they don't know. Hoagland's calling? Good God, don't you talk to him. (laughs) Okay. One of the big differences you mentioned you mentioned earlier that uh, perseverance is a twin, but it's not an identical twin to curiosity. No, so as you had uh, ten years of upgrades and a lot of different equipment. Put exactly. On board. Yes. But the main differences that sort of smacked me in the face when I was looking through a technical review was the fact that it is has its own ability to uh, navigate its own well, navigate its own path around rocks, take its own course, take uh, plot its own course, and actually drive in different. Uh, what should we say, different styles to navigate around boulders, rocks, pebbles, sand, whatever it is it comes across on its own. So it doesn't have to be nursed every step of the way like Curiosity did with a team of people sweating around, you know, computer monitors at 4 a.m. Well, it's not really no hands. It's, it's, it's a kind of a mix. It's, it's more autonomous. It's not totally autonomous. And it has to downlink the data. I mean, acquiring data on its own is fine, but you've got to send it to Earth and then it has to be made public, and that's where the bottleneck is, you know. Um, I'm. Uh, well, me, do you know that as a fact? Because I mean, the, the reports I'm reading is 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 far more automated than previous the previous version. Yeah, but and not a hundred percent. Not a hundred percent. Not saying a hundred percent, but I mean, it has its own power source, which is also different than Curiosity. I think. It no, has no, no. A, it's the same nuclear source. Same everything. I, I same batteries, but little better batteries. It, this one can last uh, 87 and a half years, I believe, whereas Curiosity will not, I believe. But uh, Oh, other things are going to break long before the nuclear power fault runs out. Yeah. And remember, it's a solid state, no moving parts, thermoelectric generator. It puts sure. out about 2,000 watts of heat, which is converted into about 140-some watts uh, of, of 110, active. I heard, yeah. Okay. Per day. Uh, and it's slowly decreasing because of the radioactive decay. But yes. it's the battery life and the other circuit. It's not the, the the snap system. The nuclear thermal electric system will last, you know, a very long time, decades, decades. But the rover itself, something will break long before then. The point is, there's no point to the mission if you don't downlink the data and talk about it. Which um, comes back to my original point, which is, is if it is more auto, auto, excuse me, automated, then in my opinion. Do you think you would send something up there which has its own power source that it can navigate to some extent on its own? I'm not saying totally. And then forget to take photographs. In my opinion, it must have like some time release system where if it picks out something interesting, then it will take a snap if it send it home. No, you know, no most, that's, most, not, that's not the way it works. They, they send everything home as soon as they can. There's, there's no hazard avoidance, right? It, well, yeah, it's got to not fall off cliffs and into craters and all that. The problem yeah. is they have given us a couple of selected shots which are, quote, safe, or they think they're safe, 
but they're not. Like when you look right around the lander, right next to the wheels of the rover, all those honeycomb thingies, and Ronald, you'll have your day here in a minute, they're not what anybody has been publicly proposing. They're more artifacts. There are hundreds. I can see in the first shot, as you say, from Stoll 1, there's, stuff, there's all sorts of unnatural stuff on the horizon and close by. Oh, right at the, at the wheels. Right next, in fact, one wheel, I think, Ron, am I correct? It's, it's sitting on one? Uh, yeah, I think that's images three and four in my section. Okay. I'd have to go back and look, but you'll see them if you get to there because they're, you know. Yep. Okay. Let me, let me go. All right. Bob, I'm sorry we interrupted you. Um, but, yeah, that interactive map is amazing. And, again, simply underscores the question, with all this visible, why did they land here if the cover-up was going to continue? And if it wasn't going to continue, why are they freaking out? What's, what's missing? What's the X factor that's missing? And Richard, go ahead. Can I take a shot? Yeah, yeah course, so this is going to be – yeah, this is like way out of left field. It's crazy. Uh, and depending on your <laughs> point of view in the political spectrum, you might consider it completely insane. I may be the one schizophrenic here. But you know what we're seeing? We're seeing monumental tectonic shifts all around the world in every, every hemisphere of human endeavor. We've seen a whole series of governments simply quit. In Europe, we've seen CEOs quitting their positions recently like unbelievable. We've seen that GameStop situation, that shorting on GameStop, which you know was driving the hedge fund man- managers crazy. It was a bunch of uh, so-called amateurs. We saw this past week, I believe, the central bank momentarily. Oh, afternoon. yes, the Fed. Yes. Went Rich. dark. Yes. So is – okay, this is nuts. But why not? We're getting coming up to the break, and let's just go for it. What if this is an asymmetrical attack in every hemisphere of human endeavor by somebody who's trying to expose the system for how corrupt it truly is, if it's truly corrupt? I, I know it's a nutty idea, but we're seeing these reverberations mm. everywhere and everything. Remember who, who, who wanted to say something? I just said not so nutty. No, I don't think it's nutty at all, Andrew. I think it's back probably a pretty good, you know, slice of of uh, what could be going on. I have this, and we're coming up to the break here, so I don't want to run over again. Poor Kinsia has enough to do without editing my <laughs> mistakes out. But does anybody remember Arthur Clarke's very, very famous short story, "The Day the Twerms Came"? No. <laughs> no. The Day the Twerms, T-W-E-R-M-S, The Day the Twerms Not came. one of his more memorable... Uh, oh, documents. yes, it was. When I tell you the, the story, and I have to spoil it for those people who haven't read it, it's a, it's, about, it's a short story about the invasion of Earth by very determined aliens, not family, not cousins, but real aliens. And they look at Earth, and they look at our military, and they you know have a sense of morals, and they realize that a frontal assault will wind up in, you know, millions, if not more, killed. And, you know, what good are slaves if they're all dead, that kind of thing. So they want to preserve the system, but they want to take it over kind of intact. And so what do they do? They land in Geneva. You know why? Banking system. The banking system. 
Mm. Oh darn! I thought it was the chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, down all the world's ATMs. Of course, of course, and that you own the world if you own the banking system and the independent Swiss bank. Anyway, Arthur was looking ahead by decades, by decades as to how an invasion. Andrew, I don't think this is a crazy idea at all because remember, I've been saying now for what a year, we are at war, and two presidents have officially said we are at war, who are at war with each other on every other thing. They agree on zero, except they both use this metaphor, we are at war. Remember Trump surrounded by the Joint Chiefs and all the other high brass who talked about in 2017 in October, a storm is coming. What do you mean by that, President? That's what some reporters said. Yeah, and he wouldn't answer. And of course, the QAnon idiots think it's him. No, he was, he was, he could never keep a secret. He was so imbued with the idea, I know something you don't know, that he, I think this is what he was talking about a top to bottom paradigm shift, and nobody read the memo. Okay, we are at the top of the hour. So everyone kind of hold it there. Uh, We will be back. I mean, this is not a trivial conversation because from all the tea leaves, all the soothsayers, all the, you know, whatever entrails that we're trying to decode. And isn't it interesting that JPL put a literal code on the parachute looking up like, guys, get in the spirit of breaking codes. There's a big one coming up. And again, I don't know whether that's true or not, but... It seems to fit metaphorically into the flow of events around Percy, the Perseverance Lander. Anyway, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out-there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show 
and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed, and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19 Point Archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Hoagland, over and out. And welcome back to the other side of midnight, which is literally now the other side of midnight here in the land of enchantment with a gorgeous moon upstairs full of artifacts with people like Elon Musk wanting to take tourists in the next few years. Talking about in 2026, taking his first cruise to Mars, sitting with Rogan and pretending that he doesn't know that anything is interesting out there except sand dunes, craters, and radiation on the red, red planet. Or does he really know everything? And this has all been a set piece building up to this moment in modern terrestrial history where we finally come up against once again the reality of who we are. Okay, and back to our panel. Uh, who wants to chime in? Uh, Robert, were you kind of finished? I have a theory. Ah, I have a theory. John has a theory. <clears throat> uh, my theory of this cock-up, <laughs> I we... hope that's not too colorful, uh, Bob. <laughs> but uh, here's, the, here's the theory. The U.S. government at the highest level, is worried that the Chinese may try to scoop a dead civilization on Mars from the United States. So they are basically trying to uh, keep their options open that if their intelligence indicates that the Chinese are going to try and land, you know, someplace like Sidonia or something. <laughs> that they can, wouldn't that uh, be a hoot? Huh. Oh, oh, it's uh, it's 
you know, you can expect certain countries on Earth not to play by the rules that the U.S. government lays down. And uh, one of those countries is France. And the other would probably be the People's Republic. Well, they've already done this with the moon. Remember, Chang-3 landed it in Mare Imbrium. <clears throat> they had planned yeah. a, a given landing site. It had been promoted. They advertised a certain time that we're going to do this. And then what did the Chinese do? They completely blew the schedule away. They landed at a different time and a different landing site, which was 44 degrees north, 19.5 west. And their official Chang 3 website was filled with tetrahedrons. Well, it's, uh, that's sinus iridum, right? Uh, it was, no, it was, it was Mari Imbrium. It was outside sinus irid, iridum, which means the Bay of okay, Rainbow. Sinus, sinus iridum was up farther north. They, exactly. That's um, where they said they planned to land, and they didn't. And they upstaged everybody with a switcheroo at the last minute. And I'm wondering if it's because they were concerned about being shot down. Now, the Indians and the uh, Israelis, with their missions, they tried to follow a normal schedule. They announced well in advance where they were going to land, when they were going to land, and they both crashed under very curious, mysterious circumstances. So maybe the Chinese have got the politics of this down pat, which is don't tell the bad guys upstairs where exactly you're going to go until it's too late for them to do anything. And they've been showing... Well, or maybe not, don't inform the U.S. government either. Well, that's it possible. It interests in the moon. Yeah, except I think our problems are not from Earth. I think they're from outside, and that's a whole, you know, other breakaway conversation involving, among oh, other things, okay. ancient Nazis, anti-gravity, all kinds of technologies we're going to be talking about with my guest tomorrow night, including some stunning... Uh new artifacts in the Antarctic that look eerily like some of the best preserved arcologies, Bob, on Mars. And by the way, on Ceres, like Ahunamans, except Ahunamans with a covering, with a hoe, still almost intact. Okay, um, I'm going to skip around. Timothy, you're at bat, okay? I, I, I see some interesting stuff here. Uh, as a an architect of ships, space or otherwise, you want to regale us? Yeah, uh, we can talk about perseverance itself. I've only posted one uh, item actually, and it's about the uh, the crazy engineering of perseverance. But what I'd really like to talk about is one of the artifacts that I'm sure I'm not, I'm not alone, but I've noticed in one of the photographs that you've posted. Whatever you want, you have the floor. Okay, well, thank you. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to go to Richard's items in the Radio with Pictures, go to number seven, which is, uh, how do you pronounce that word? Earthy Mars Earth Atmosphere Comp. Oh, it should be Percy. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, a, that's, a, that's a typo. <laughs> okay, so Percy. Well, this, this is a Chinese way of saying Percy. <clears throat> okay, so excuse my... my Merging of the pronunciation. There we are. So if we click on the right image, which is um, of Mars itself. This is the first color. Remember, on this mission, talking about the technology, all the cameras on Curiosity were kind of bad and black and white. 
They're now stunning real color and incredibly you know, diversity and resolution. This image is 1,200 pixels across. It's non-compressed. The color's right. The light scattering, you know, look where the shadows are, look where the sun would be backscattered. In other words, it's the perfect Mars picture that you would take if you landed, and it's obviously freaked out an entire agency. Indeed. Now, the, the first thing I think is, is stunning is to look at the, the shadow of the Perseverance's wheel, wheel hub, and then the, uh, the, the chassis or the frame on the ground. That's mm-hmm. obviously uh, uh, gives you an idea of where the camera angle is and also gives you an ang- idea of where the sun angle is. And yeah, the- these, these cameras, these has cams, they're hazard cams for a reason. They're mounted under the deck, right almost level with the wheels, so they'll see any hazards. And in the autonomous navigation, computer crunching, they will stop the rover if it's going to do something weird and would kill itself, that kind of thing. Indeed. Now, if you look at the shadow itself, especially at the top of the wheel, if you turn your top of your head to the left, your left shoulder, then you have an idea that you know the, the, the wheel is a much better idea of what is vertical. The wheel is obviously vertical. But do you notice, Richard, that between the top of the wheel and the, the, the space frame or the chassis above, mm-hmm. the light and shadow seems to be a little bit uh, rainbow-like? Is it my imagination, or am I seeing like a sort of a, in the second print of like a blue shade and yeah, like an orangey shade? Well, what what you're see, Ron, you want to chime in here? I think this is registration because there's these pictures are not taken simultaneously; they're red, green, and blue, and the shadow moved because Mars is rotating, and in the interval between the, the three pictures, Mars moved, the shadow moved, and that's why they're not properly registered. Ron, okay, I've got them booted up, but which yes, which um. This, this is my Baumgartner Earth stratosphere compared to the first Hascam image comparison. Number seven. Oh, that one. Yes. Number seven. Yeah. The color fringing yeah, is just because of the time delay between the pictures, Tim. Okay. All right. So, yes, I think. And, right. and the, fur- the further afield, we notice that effect less because obviously we, we cannot see the, the minute exactly. changes, whereas something exactly. close up is magnified. Yep. 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 Okay. Right. So I just wanted to get that out. Now, if we imagine this photograph... Spoken like uh, a true nautical designer. There we go. If we imagine this photograph as a clock face, and we then zoom in to, let's say, 3 o'clock on the clock face. Uh, I've clicked once already to make the, the image large in my, my screen. But also, I can further zoom in. I don't know if you have the ability to well, do that. a friend of mine this afternoon taught me a really neat trick. If you yeah. hold down control and mm-hmm. use the mouse wheel, you can make it really, really, really big. And then you, you know, use that bar at the bottom to slide over. So you can okay. make this really big. On my, my laptop, I'm using like a, a finger and index finger and a thumb to sort of further zoom into the image. Okay. Uh, but which, whichever way it works for you. But if you literally zoom into the, let's say where three o'clock would be on, on the clock face, there's like a little group of rocks mm-hmm. coming through the ground. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it takes a little time to accustom your eyes. But in the middle of that grouping, there is something which looks very much like a cylinder 
a perfect oh, uh, round right. cylinder. Wow. With with like a like a baffle or, or, or a line mm-hmm. or a surface that intersects through the center of it, and it's kind of diagonally uh, going from right to left, and it's buried in the sand on the left, and the end, the aperture is very clearly open. It's very clearly perfectly circular. It even looks like it has a boss or like a, a, mm-hmm. like a an end cap which could have been screwed in. I'm imagining these things. Look at all those little cute shadows all lined up like little pyramid-shaped shadows from the low sun. This is early, early morning. See, what happened when the when the sky crane lowered the uh, rover on its, on its tethers? Blast from the rockets blew away the surface covering right here, exposing mm. stuff which had been buried. In the ground, in the in the sands, in the dust. So it's kind of like having a huge reverse vacuum for instant archaeology to where you can see what's hidden that you obviously are not going to see further afield. So this site was scoured and things revealed that were underneath the sands that would be revealed no other place. Well, it, that's amazing. Not only is it revealed a cylinder, which in my mind, if I, if I had one or two more photographs I could very easily 3D model this and prove this like like I have done with the, the wheel hub on another or the, or the pump on another part of the planet um, I see a the, ring I see a perfect exactly ring with a little bar to the it's to the bottom of your circle oh to the bottom of the circle okay so there's a ring there as well yeah but it's, also it's, the, it's one of those perimeter those are not rocks come on geometry no, geometry no they're not rocks and, and to the left of what I call the cylinder, there in the same group of rocks, there's also like um, what we can see is like an end of a, another circular item. Mm-hmm. But it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sort of niches or, or recesses in it, which look very geometrical. Uh, again, it looks something which is not natural in my opinion. So in my mind, in that little clump alone of, of rocks and, and dust and, and whatever else is there, there are three totally unnatural looking items there and that's just within what a few meters of a few feet of where where perseverance landed you know i'm using that little thumb wheel trick that um keith taught me an hour or so ago i can get really close on this and it holds up i know see this is what's freaking everybody out because keith laney said something kind of nonchalantly Oh, they're D-res pictures, and they're going to lie as usual and all that. I'm paraphrasing. He hasn't no, looked the at the data. We've ever seen. This is stunningly no. – this is like you took your own smartphone, stepped out of your spacecraft, held it up to your faceplate, and went click, click, click. This is what we should have been seeing for decades. No, this is it. This is the mission. But why are they having a meltdown? I, I think that this is – I mean, your opinion to clo- disclosure hasn't occurred yet. In my opinion, it has a long time ago. I think you're waiting to see it on TV. And, no, no, and no, 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 no. I've been talking about creeping disclosure for years and years. But at some point, remember, most people are waiting for the authority figure to tell them the truth. Look at the last election. Donald Trump uh, got 74 million votes because he had a totally different political statement than the other guy. And 74 million people believed him because people believe leaders, particularly charismatic leaders, and they're waiting. The people are waiting for someone to tell them, a la Jack Nicholson, what the truth is, 
and they've said for 50 years, a la Brookings, they can't handle the truth. So well, you, my, can, you can provide opinion, all these wonderful authority. images possible until someone sits down and tells them what they're seeing. They won't believe it. I think that's the program, Richard. I think that authority comes from the facts, and the facts come from data like this. This is not a natural item in this clump of rocks. No, no, so of course not. But you and I can see it, and anybody with half a brain can see it. But the the great middle America, the middle of the country, we're just restricting this now to the United States, are waiting for leaders to tell them almost everything. I agree, totally. And that's and a, not a good place to be. Not at all. So maybe this is going to be the wedge that breaks that paradigm that program you called it all right i'm hoping well you've got to remember also though that there is a great deal of unease with finally saying you are not alone in the universe and um what was that story you told me the other day john about um i don't want to you know (laughs) give away your thunder but you told me this really amazing story which i was kind of disbelieving having to do with Mars and artifacts? Uh, What? Yes, well, um, I mean, in a sense, we are a little bit like the um, Alaskan Indians who couldn't see the ship with the sails uh, because we don't want to. I mean, the press, prides itself on being deeply skeptical of anything the government says on this particular subject, the possibility of ETs, technological ETs of some kind, shows childlike credulity. Yes, over and over again. (laughs) You know, when the government says something, you know, and so, uh, you know, where is the... uh, where is Woodward and Bernstein in that? <laughs> See, Tim, their I'm maps go, still. Go ahead, Ron. No, go their ahead. maps, their their maps still say here be monsters. That's yeah. the problem. Let me go back That's to Tim because Tim said something. You said a programming, programming. Okay, I've had a lot of time, decades, literally, to think about this. I'm thinking that the programming mm-hmm. is nothing superficial; that it could almost be at the level of the DNA. Oh, I, I don't discount that at all. But I that mean, doesn't mean it's, but that doesn't mean it's any government on earth doing it. It doesn't mean it is, and it doesn't mean it isn't. It doesn't really. It's not really conclusive either way, is it? But I mean, if we, if we take the very basic level you, you, earlier, you were talking about tilting your head to the side. I was mentioning it, and I know you've talked about it at length on previous previous shows. And when you do okay. rotate an image, you can see things which you literally a few seconds a few degrees ago could not see at all it was mm. invisible to you and that's because because and i'm not a biologist but because we have two eyes and we process the data at the back of our brain we actually have a void between the middle of our, our eyes it's sort of uh, an, an area sort of where our nose is so in that void we imagine and we create the image what we what we imagine we see between a, between that the eyes in that void but in that void, as soon as you rotate your head to the left or to the right or move it up and down like, like the cat looking at a mouse, then you start to sort of gather little bits of data, little bits of light, little photons, and, and you start to pick up, get more accurate data to what 
you're actually looking at. But in the void, you cannot see it because you have no way of sensing it. And I think that that is a very good analogy as to the program that they, whoever they are, the minority, the government, the education system, the evolution, whatever you want to call it, that we're all living and people cannot see. It's not that they don't want to. It's not that they're dumb. It's not that they cannot wish, even wish to. It's just they cannot see something in the void. The void is a void. Well, so but, it, but this is not it. universal to all beings. Like I, I keep talking about this famous Boeing experiment where in the kind of pre-CAD days, they were hiring aircraft designers and they gave them a test. Part of their hiring thing was to give every potential employee, engineer, a draftsman, whatever, a test. And they found that one third of the applicants they tested could visualize 3D geometry in their heads. They could literally mm -hmm. manipulate it like, Tim, you've manipulated your models, okay? Uh, the other third, the next third, could be taught how to do it, and one third could never do it. And, <laughs> and, and that's, that's hardwiring. That's, that's the programming that I'm talking about. I mean, you show uh, – Chris, who was telling me they were trying to show some of this stuff to one of their friends, and they literally cannot see it? And it's obvious <laughs> to us. But there is this third of the population that no matter what you do, they think you're nuts because they don't see anything but rocks. I, I think a lot of it's to do with training, Richard. I mean, for example, with my Well, that's the third. Profession. That's the third. Okay, but, but, but I, I don't know if it's a hard rule because, I mean, if I can do it, surely everybody can do it. I mean, I, I literally walk through my yachts inside and out and I see everything if I turn my head to the right to the left or my right <laughs> I see it all in my imagination yeah. every last detail to the millimeter well you're like Tesla I've, come on Tesla could do this remember the, all the stories he never wrote very a very flattering well I, th I think if I can do it everybody can do it no surely. you're not normal you're no. not everybody yes thank you thank you whoever's ascending there yeah no you're right uh, you can't no it's not just it's not just everybody the um well, Mark McCandless, the draftsman. You guys all know who Mark McCandless is, right? Yeah. He does. He does those. He does what they call, excuse me, Richard, those breakaway images of engines and things mm -hmm. where you can see all the parts because it's selectively transparent. Yeah, we used to call that cutaway like, drawings. Yeah, that's the all right cutaway. Uh, that is the um, comparison, and not everybody can do that. Nope. And certainly to that level, very few people can do it. So there's definitely something somewhat different in the wiring, so to speak. Well, uh, it's some a people. I can't do that. Be, John, is that you? Go ahead. Me, yeah, to me, to me, in my experience, it's a prerequisite to be a manager that you cannot imagine things in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. I'm sure Scott Adams would agree with you, but I, yeah, I think you're right. The Dilbert principle, people rise to their level of incompetence. Wasn't that called right. Parkinson's law or something? No, that's the Peter principle. The Peter principle. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. I think I know what you're saying, John, because a lot of um, clients or, or shipyard owners and so on, they say to me, you know, can you not just do this? And I said, my computer keyboard does not have a just button. Does yours? <laughs> you know, <laughs> nothing is just doing it. It's just your lack of un understanding and uh, imagination. You know, there's a whole process to do before 
you turn something in from a vision into a 3D model, for example. Um, when I got when I got access to your, when I got sorry sorry Tim when I got access because we're running out of time and I don't want to miss certain things. When I got access to this kind of secret briefing that only Chris Rogers, by the way, if Chris, if you're listening, Blog Talk tonight is off the air. We cannot get any phone calls through Blog Talk. So if you want to get on the air, <clears throat> give Kinthea a call, and we'll put you on the air through Skype or something, or uh, you know that that mechanism. But you know you had a very interesting observation. In lieu of that, I want to move the conversation now to Andrew, because we're at the level where I want to talk about what the hell does this mean and what indicators, other indicators in our society, other than that gestalt that everything is kind of falling apart, you know, the center cannot hold, something new is going to take its place. It's not only in the visible world, it turns out it's in the metaphorical, transcendental, multidimensional world of dreams. Andrew, that's your cue. Richard. Yeah. So now, um, before we get started, Richard, I have a small audio. Are we going to play it, or should I just describe it? No, like no, no. We will. We will play it. I just have to figure okay, out where it is. Set it up. It's let hiding set it up. somewhere. It's in my. It's yeah. It's in my item. So uh, just to tell the audience what happened. So four days ago, my my youngest son, Stellan, he's nine. He excitedly told me one morning we're having breakfast. He goes, "Daddy, Daddy, I had this really this amazing dream." And I said, "What was it?" He said, "I was in heaven." I'm like. On one hand, I'm like, oh, <laughs> but, um, but when he described it, it was unbelievable. And he, I got him to do a drawing, and it's part of my items under Andrew's items. It's number one. It's called a tetrahedral heaven, and you'll see why. And I, and then Richard came up with a really great idea. He says, hey, why don't you just um, do a little short interview of him and to describe the dream? And I said, okay, great idea. So I did a little audio. It's just under six minutes. He's very clear when he speaks, and um, it might be worth listening to uh, if we can, if we can set it up. Unfortunately, <clears throat> we can't yeah. right now because there's everybody trying to log onto the website. And Kintia, can you help me a little with this? Because it was there, and then I refreshed, and it went away. And I'm not sure why it went away. Uh, technology. So, well, it's under my Okay, it's, it's, it's back. It's yeah. back. It's, it's loading. Okay. All right. It's item number three. That's right. And this is Stellan, your nine-year-old son, describing yeah. heaven. And I'm going to warn you, heaven has a surprise. We are on. So not hearing it. So Stellan, tell us about the dream that you had about four nights ago, which you told me about. So in your own words... Just go ahead and relate it right from the start. Okay. So I started off over top of my school grounds, um, flying over top of it, and um, every single per- everyone was on the school grounds were frozen, and um, I was wondering why. And then um, I flew up into heaven, and I can see this beautiful view um um, in front of my whole face and hang on Stella. So when you say you flew, did you fly? Um, how did you fly? How did you fly up there? Um, I, since I had wings that were very small, you had small wings. I remember you were, you said that a few times you kept going, my wings were really small. Well, yeah. you're, you're young, you're nine, right? So it's kind of, 
maybe a bit appropriate that your wings would be small. Yeah, they were very tiny wings, and mm. I flew up into heaven, and um, I can see the sun, like, um, shining over top of me, and... Um, and that sun, uh, in your drawing, because we're looking at your drawing, uh-huh. is really big. It's a really large sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since we were, like, very high up, since we were in the clouds and, like, heaven, um, the sun was quite close to us. So it's really big. And yeah. you told me what the sun felt like. It was bright. Yeah, it was very bright. Was it hot? No, it felt normal. So what would you, how would you describe the feeling in, in this heaven that you saw? I would describe it very relaxing. And for the, um, since the sun was quite close to what, quite, quite close to me, it, for some reason, it felt, it didn't feel like blaring hot, like, you know, Arizona weather. Right. Yeah. Right. And San Diego. It didn't feel like that. Wow. It felt normal. So there were clouds. I remember you said that. Mm-hmm. And what else, you, you described a few other things in the scenery. Like, can you describe some of the elements? Well, I see some cliffs, like, um, before I, um, I saw some cliffs with some trees on it. And um, on those cliffs were waterfalls. And as soon as it hit the ground, it was, like, disappearing into mist. So it wasn't, like, turning into a humongous lake. Right. Okay. So it was, when you say the ground, you mean the, the cloud ground, like the mist, the, the cloudy yeah. ground. Yeah. yeah. And then you also drew in your drawing trees, both close and far away. Yeah. That is because those trees, since they're kind of small, um, which is supposed to be they're pretty far away. Mm. And, yeah. And you said that in one di- that was one direction that you looked in to see the scenery. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back to the scenery because you, you drew something quite extraordinary in your drawing. But on the other side, if you turned around with your little wings, you turn around. What did you, who else did you see in the image? I can see um, angels surrounding and um, I can see Jesus. So you think you saw the figure of Jesus? Yeah, I think. What did he look like? He, um, he had a, like, um, you know, like a black. um, Beard? Yeah. And, um. And it was black? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was like, it was like. Um, kind of lightish black. Lightish black, okay. Yeah, and and um. What about his hair? Oh, his hair. It was the same color as. His, was it short it was, or long? It was kind of long. It was like long. here. Okay. Down to his shoulders. You're pointing at your shoulders. Okay. Yeah. And um. What was he wearing? Do you remember? He was wearing um a red robe. A red robe? Like not reddish, like kind of. Like I forgot what the color was, but it was like. So it wasn't white. Oh, it white? No, was it white or was it more in the red tone? It was kind of whitish reddish. So like a pink? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, I don't remember you saying that detail. And then you said there were angels around and people that you... Yeah, yeah, people that I recognized. And they had large wings, you said. Yeah, large wings because... Uh, yeah, large wings because they were mostly adults. And I saw you. Ah. <laughs> and what did, what did the figure of Jesus in your dream say? Um, he said, come, come everybody, come gather around me. Hmm. And I couldn't, um, I couldn't quite hear anything else that he said. Right. And then you turn around, you look back in the landscape and you told me about something way off in the distance. I mean, in the far distance. And what was that? Yeah. Um, after the cliffs 
with the waterfalls, um, there was a pyramid. I saw a pyramid. And what color was the pyramid? It was white. And you told me that it was actually glistening or reflecting. Yeah, the it was reflecting the sun, and wow. it was kind of blinding. But... A bit blinding, and it was really far off in the distance, yeah. right? Uh, what what color was the sky? In your drawing, you've done it like a like a blue, like a yeah. It was like a very. It, it, there was like it was like yeah, like wow. blue. And again, the feeling of this place. You said it made you feel relaxed. Relaxed. Very relaxed. Well, Stellan, thank you so much, and uh, say goodbye to everybody. Bye. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hedlund and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight. Last half hour to go on this Saturday night, Sunday morning. Well, Andrew, so heaven has pyramids. Hmm. <laughs> Richard, it was stunning. He just he described, you know, you kind of your typical archetypal heaven and, you know, the the characters you would would think would inhabit it. And then he said because I said, well, what was way off in the distance because I figured it must be a long vista and he goes, a pyramid. And I looked at him and I said, excuse me? And he goes, a pyramid. And Richard, my son doesn't come down here and listen to you talk about tetrahedral physics. And, you know, he doesn't read books on the Giza Plateau or anything like this. And as far as I know, he hasn't come across a book lately or watched a cartoon that shows pyramids in heaven. But, you know, it was stunning when he told me. And it just reminded me of, I actually, in my um, Andrew's items, my number one, you know, there is this a big significant people might be going, well, how do we go from Mars to this? Well, I think you nailed it, Richard, is that there's something coming and it's a shift and it's I think it's already here. I think we've already arrived. I just think like what you and Tim were saying, we just haven't quite got the eyesight, <laughs> the inner eyesight to recognize where we're at. Well, everybody's by- not tuned in at the same time to the same radio station. And I will absolutely adamantly insist that, yes, there are a lot of people getting intimations, you know, and obviously Stellan is really plugged in, but he's one of the few. Most people are going to wait for the movie. They're going to wait for someone to tell them what's going on. That's the way the human race has been kept down on the farm for all these years. These sensitivities have been denigrated, suppressed. You know, laughed at, ESP, clairvoyance, precognition, oh, that's all nonsense. No, it's hyperdimensional physics. 
And if there's a tremor in the force, if we're coming up to this shock wave because, you know, the processional cycle and the terrestrial cycles in the solar system is all matching, so we get a frequency, you know, ding, 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 that's when it's going to happen because it could not happen before and it can't happen after. And I think a lot of what's going on is a war for control of the message at that moment. And it literally might even be a moment. It it could, yeah, it could be an opening that we have to, you know, kind of punch open. Uh, you know, just to let the listeners know, if, if you if you want to go to number one and see his dream, he drew it. I've added a little Photoshop. He was hanging over my shoulder just to give a more of a misty feel and a reflection off the pyramid. And I also, Richard, compared it to, of course, Chesley Bonstill's um, mm -hmm. matte painting from When Worlds Collide. And it's um, it just when he described it, it reminded me of that. You know that you want to describe Richard, but when worlds collide and how it ended, really. Do you want to give us a little? Well, yeah. You know, astronomers find a year or two ahead that there's a planet coming and is attached to a star called Belus and Zyra. And um, they're going to miss the Earth. The star will miss the Earth, but the planet will hit the Earth and destroy it by gravity and by collision. So they basically, a private enterprise group of industrialists, put together a team build rocket, a big rocket ship to take some survivors to transit from Earth to the new planet before the Earth is destroyed. And when you land on the planet in the film, illustrated by my dear friend, part of friend, Cesley Bonstell, there are ruins and pyramids all over the damn yeah. landscape and alien you know, vegetation in the foreground, and it looks like <clears throat> Mars. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to go to my next time because I know we're fast coming to the end um, because last week I spoke about – well, we spoke about Elon Musk and Joe Rogan, and I made the error, and our friend of the show, uh, Laura London, pointed this out to me. <laughs> I screwed up, and so did you, Richard, <laughs> is that I called – yeah, um, so Elon Musk's girlfriend and partner – is this gal named Grimes. That's her sort of stage name. Her real name is Claire Elise Boucher. And again, she's from my area. And she's, a, she's been around since the early 2000s. She's quite a genius. Like I said, a pop star, a lot of synthesis between a lot of this you know, music that the youth love. She's 32 years old. She has a baby, now a new baby, which is um, hers and Musk's. And I don't know. If Does he have a name yet we can pronounce? I don't know. I was trying to look. That. I know it was a very strange thing. But Richard, I wanted to. Um, I, well, remember, his father says he's an alien on Twitter. So, yes. Yeah. And and then well, thinks that Hoagland is schizophrenic. Well, okay. no, he didn't say that. He no, no, he assented, you know, and Rogan went into the negative. Uh, in other words, he, he elaborated and Musk went along with it. So, yeah. And you know what? To be fair, at the end, we, we cut that that um, clip a little short. Rogan did at the end said he rounded it out with saying maybe Richard Hoagland is the smartest one in the room and then they moved on to a different topic but just to leave it there so um, if you go to my number two I call it call this cosmic meanderings now the first drawing I call it's something I did back in 2020 I was just one day doodling I finished some work and I created this what I called a Martian woman and I you know, I elongated her head and I made her skin green. And I, and for some reason, I, I was going to ask, why is she green? I, it's just, 
it just felt like a good color. I put some blue in her hair and I just was just randomly grabbing things out of my imagination, r- multiple rings on her finger. And I was, m- you know, modeling her skin. And I, I, and in my mind, you know, actually I, I was had a conversation earlier this week with Laura and she said, cause I shared it with her and she said, Oh wow. And she said, why did you model the skin? And I said, well, in my imagination, her skin changes with her mood, um, you know, with her, however she's feeling. And, oh, like and a chameleon with uncontrollable cell receptors. Something like that. And then, you know, Laura started to, you know, sort of hit me with all these images of this one artist. I forget her name, Anna something. I'll have to look it up. Who does these amazing uh, human alien hybrid paintings are these tiny little paintings that she does. And, but the one she showed me right away was these images of Grimes and they Grimes is very active on Instagram this 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 uh, partner of Elon Musk and if you click on my image and then enlarge it you see I put it side by side with my with my digital painting from last year well this Instagram post is from this year so I think it's fairly recent I think and in it um, she's in profile with sort of heavy eye makeup holding her baby with her very long fingers because she has some sort of syndrome and she's wearing this hat that makes her head look elongated in the background are these metropolis like you know remember the 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 robot from metropolis mm-hmm. maria and and so that's going on in the background and then i put another image below that with her again with this you know her she's wearing this coat you know she's got um her all these tattoos all over her hands and rings well in that first image that first instagram image when she's holding her baby and the baby's looking at the robot in the background, I mean, it might be a Photoshop deal that they did here, but anyways, there's the robot. This is what she said in her Instagram account. She goes, tell me of the waters of your home world. So I'm assuming <laughs> Richard that she's having like a dialogue with her baby. Now below that is the other image of her in the same sort of profile with, you know, her head almost looking elongated with guess what? Blue hair. And she calls herself, Marie Antoinette, 420 AD, <laughs> or sorry, 4200 AD. Okay. And anyways, the last. Oh yeah. Uh, Let them eat bioengineered gruel paste. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was someone else's comment. She, she's. You know what's really interesting about this gal um, is that she studied neuroscience and philosophy with a minor in Russian at McGill University in Montreal back in her university days. And Richard, oh. I just found this out and I have I haven't been able to find the Globe and Mail article, but apparently in a 2012 profile in the Globe and Mail, she had designs on getting into the space program. So really? I, you know, I yeah, apparently, according to this article I found, I have to go in and dig and find mm. the actual Globe and Mail article. That's a publication out of Canada, out of Eastern Canada. So, oh, this is going to sound horrible. Mm. She's hitching a ride with Elon? Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> the well, leader of Werner von Braun's Mars colony? Uh, it, it's all circling around. It's, and speaking of circling, Richard, um, the third image, I, well, it, I call it number three, and it's another post that Laura sent to me, is Grimes' very long fingers with all her tattoos, these blue tattoos on her finger. And is blue that finger. Arabic? Looks like, I, looks like Arabic. Maybe, maybe. And she's got her fingers on an image. Well, well it's the Rick, cover. You tell them what, what this it's is. It's the cover of Isaac Asimov's seminal three-part uh, series, the Foundation Trilogy. 
you know, about an ancient galactic civilization and a mutant that arises and takes control and a long-term secret foundation, which is founded by a psycho historian, that's a made up, you know, profession named Harry Selden. And, you know, Isaac Asimov is one of Musk's childhood heroes. I can't wait to tell him that Isaac thought he was my surrogate father. And of all the gin joints in all the world, Casablanca, he puts the crystal discs from Nova Spivak in the glove compartment of the Red Roadster he shoots off in the direction of Mars. You can't make this stuff up. Exactly. And I just couldn't believe, like, when Laura sent me these images, and I put them side by side with my own digital painting, which was just this random... And I'm actually going to do a whole graphic novel around this this woman. Mm. I find her very elegant. Anyhow, I, I this is what's happening, is that we're having this... It's like, um, you know, it's like, like fungus, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, you know, they, I think we've talked about this before, but mushrooms, they can have a colony together rooted like many football fields long, and they can communicate almost instantaneously below the surface with their root system. In other words, if one, you know, area of the, you know, this would be like the forest floor, right, of, 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 of um, fungi. So if one part in this territory is experiencing some sort of weird weather, it can actually communicate to football fields away connections to the rest of the fungi. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, Richard, we're getting this, this pulsing that's coming up. And now whether the elite, and I would consider a person like this because of who she's associated with, not married, but associated with, is either deliberately tapping this because she is self-described as an informationist, or sorry, an informational addict. She loves new ideas. She loves philosophy. She studies multiple languages. She's, <clears throat> she's quite a deal. And she so I, could be listening to us right now. Yeah, maybe. Hi, Grimes. But, <laughs> but anyways. Yeah, Tell your I, guy I, I need to talk to him. I have something he needs to know. Well, Many Richard, things, in so- fact. Yeah, well, Richard, there's something really important here, um, and I'm going to reiterate something that you mentioned last week. Is um, both Laura and I put out a call to Joe Rogan's. Uh, he has a website that Joe Rogan. Just look it up, JoeRogan.com, and there's a link there to contact, and you can actually fill in. Hey, you know something that you would like to see on his show or, or something. You can even hire him to do a comedy act if you want. <laughs> and what I'm what I'm recommending to the worldwide audience here. Okay, is go and look that up, JoeRogan.com, and ask for the host of this show to get a chance to speak his side of the story because it may be more necessary than we know. I'm telling you, everybody go do it. If he gets enough people filling his mailbox or his people reading this or his producers or whatever, they might just go, hey. And if you are listening, if there's anybody out there that's associated with Joe Rogan listening, you've got a lot of really smart, sober people on this panel. All right. And they can show you, as we have done tonight through Radio with Pictures, plus many decades of data and many people that aren't even here tonight, including a fellow that I want to mention. Um, we can show you this. Richard can show you this. Just just give him a chance. Now, Richard, I want to round my, my, my talking here with a comment because it circles back to what we're talking about here, about the sense that something is connecting us or coming through. Keith Laney made a really beautiful 
um, quote, quote for, you know, I think it might have just been to me. It might have been on the show. But he said, you know, with the rovers, like Curiosity, this was before Perseverance and Pathfinder, the, the rovers that are up there, it's, it is truly our eyes now being – well, that's the eyes that we can see this ancient planet through. But it has opened up – I know this is a bit esoteric or spiritual, but it's opened up the spirits. It's stir, you know, it's like the dust that was being kicked up, like you say, when that sky crane was dropping Percy and you could boom, this plume of you – know, it's just scouring the surface. It's on a metaphorical level stirring the spirits of that mm-hmm. planet, and it's putting humanity, including Bulgaria – and they are wonderful people, by the way. I've got really great friends who are Bulgarians, and they're super smart, highly sensitive as well. They're putting us out there, and we're now mingling with those Martian spirits. That's what I believe. That's what I think is going on. And I think we have a direct railway right to Mars, and it's gonna the, the, the train and the freight's going to start moving soon. Well, it is moving. It's just, is it being noticed? Let me give you a wild theory. We've got 10 minutes to the end of the show. And, John, I'm going to come to you next for the background oh, story okay. we, we, we talked about. So get ready, okay? I believe sure, sure. the last four years of the Trump administration was essential, absolutely essential, to prepare the way for what's coming next. Now, what do I mean by that? It stirred up so much stuff that revealed how fragmented the ship is. You know, the Enterprise slash United States of America is barely able to fly. So much needs to be fixed. So much needs to be exposed. So much needs to be discussed. So much needs to be corrected. And it goes back centuries. The Civil War never ended. That's one thing that this has taught us. We're still in the Civil War. And you see it at every level. And the incredible discontent of the population who would turn to someone like Donald Trump out of desperation, out of psychic desperation four years ago, I believe – I can't prove this yet – but I believe it's because there's this larger apprehension, sensing of a gestalt that they have been lying to us about everything including the most important thing in our lives, which is who the hell are we and what are we doing in this place and why are we accepting this as reality? And that prelude, that entree, that, that foreshadowing of what's going to happen next, I think was essential to preparing the psychic universe, I'm sounding like Georgia now, the cosmic background to this set of astonishing, shattering paradigm shifting revelations which i see now as almost inevitable it all is now down to who is going to try to control our view our interpretation of this reality first john you're up yeah well well whenever there's a big moment uh a gestalt moment a um a transition uh, where new knowledge is released. It is earth-shattering. Uh, uh, factions always try to to control the spin on it, and uh, so we we must prepare for that. Uh, that uh, let's say disclosure happens. Uh, 
let's say disclosure happens on Mars. Well, uh, D-Day on Mars, Disclosure Day, um, is latched onto by uh, several uh, factions within the scientific community and the government to try and spin it the way they want it. Um, one of the um, things they will do, I can predict, is um, say that, well, um, these aliens were um, primitive and uh, not that human. The, the reason they're doing that is something somebody told me that one of my old buddies I used to work with in uh, Washington, D.C., the intel community, told me recently that what's holding up the Mars disclosure is that it's too close. Bingo. And yes. it's alarming. It's, it's alarming because there may be a connection to the human race. Oh, my God. They're just now figuring this out? Well. How dumb can these people be? I'm just an Episcopalian, <laughs> but I've talked to some fundamentalists, and I, I was I was briefly a fundamentalist in my 20s because my parents became fundamentalists, and and I know how powerful that is. Just to give you an example. Well, it sounds to me, people, and I want to leap to the end of the story here because we only have a few minutes left. It seems to me yeah, know. that Stellan's dream is their nightmare. That heaven will turn it out is. to have pyramids because it's not what we think. Talk about the secret yeah. payloads on Insight. Oh, well, uh, you know, I was part of the Clementine mission and it was launched from Vandenberg, which is where you launch military missions that have uh, classified payloads. Okay. And uh, so they chose to launch InSight from there, even though it requires more energy, thus a bigger rocket, more money, to launch from Vandenberg to Mars because you can't take advantage of the Earth's rotation on the uh, West Coast. Um, they um, apparently sent a classified payload to Mars to sample the soil. And... Um, I, I believe they were looking for forensic uh, isotopes. You know, we, we have a, we did a lot of nuclear tests on Earth, so we know what the uh, forensics on a large nuclear uh, explosion look like, hydrogen bomb explosion. And particularly you find plutonium-244, uh, which was discovered in the debris from the first hydrogen bomb explosion. And... Uh, what we're looking for is evidence of our process, which is, you can look up on Wikipedia, it means rapid, high-energy neutron bombardment of elements. And this is what leads to the xenon-129 excess, by the way. Um, so basically, I was told recently by another old buddy that they now have irrefutable evidence that my hypothesis was correct on Mars. So uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't say what it was, but I'm just connecting the dots. That the InSight mission apparently accomplished its mission of sampling the soil for nuclear weapons residue. And? So now they know 
Now they have to figure out what to do. So they found the key isotopes that were part of our conversation on could there have been a nuclear war, John, back decades ago in the independent Mars investigation at SRI. Well, I mean, I spent nine and a half years working at nuclear weapons labs, uh, Lawrence Livermore and then Sandia Labs. And it was somebody at Sandia Labs who told me that the Xenon-129 excess was due to, uh, uh, he said, somebody nuked, somebody nuked them. Mm. And uh, he, uh, that's, that's how I found out. I, I just showed, I was standing in line in the, li- in the library at Sandia Labs, and I was chatting. Uh, in those days, you couldn't download uh, PDFs. You had to go Xerox things from books and and uh, journals. And uh, I showed the guy in next in line to me the, the Xenon XS-129 XS on Mars from the Viking uh, uh, measurements, and he said, "Oh my God, somebody nuked him." Mm. And then he, then he excused himself, and uh, and this was this is meant to you know the the library was an unclassified area of Sandia Labs, and then he walked away. He put down what he was going to Xerox, and uh, walked away in, into the classified area. And I recognized that he had said something in it. <laughs> uh, and you know it happened occasionally you'd say something that was classified and the par- there was a whole um, section of Sandia Labs that was based on the idea of uh, air sampling to figure out like if the North Koreans had really set off a nuke they could sample the air for uh, forensic uh, isotopes hey John we have yes. run out, we've run out of runway <laughs> the show is ending women were in the early star trek exactly from orion from orion gosh osiris so that sounds very peculiar and almost ritualistic i wonder what gene roddenberry could have known hey guys and girls thank you one and all for attending this is only the first of many conversations we are definitely going to be doing this again maybe next weekend depends on what nasa does if their meltdown continues Tomorrow night, we're shifting our focus to the Antarctic and what the heck is going on down there. And it's connected, as you'll find out, to Mars. Until tomorrow night, same time, same bat channel. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. Dreams. <laughs>